All right, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome to the Bizzlecast film commentary for Marvel's The Avengers. Uh, um, inarguably one of the greatest superhero comic book movies ever. Arguably the greatest. I actually did a commentary for this already that I never released about six months ago, back when I did the Winter Soldier commentary, Age of Ultron, uh, and a number of other Marvel commentaries that I did release, uh, and all of which have done very well. So thank you out there, BizzleCast listeners. I recently uh, re-released my Winter Soldier uh, commentary along with a new Cap 1 to lead up to Civil War. But I wanted Avengers to be the last podcast before Civil War for all the obvious reasons and some unobvious obvious reasons i said it was inarguably one of the best arguably it is the best i have it in my top four or five so uh, i'm gonna quickly introduce and get a couple thoughts from senior bizzlecast contributor maddie g aka goose matt hi everybody i am so excited to get to do this audio commentary i love the avengers this is far and away my favorite Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. I would probably put it in my top three of all time. Uh, this is a movie I've seen probably at least a half a dozen times. A movie I know so well that I was at my parents' house uh, one day, maybe about a year ago, and it was playing very faintly in another room. And I could barely hear the score, but I heard just enough of it that I, we were eating lunch and I looked at my parents and said, in about 30 seconds, Loki is going to say, send the rest. And about 30 <laughs> seconds later, that's exactly what happens. I, I know this movie like the back of my hand or like something that was more clever than an old cliche like that. But I really, really love this movie. <laughs> yeah, this movie is definitely very special. Um, I think I have a top four and then it, it's questionable. I have both Avengers movies, Cap, Winter Soldier and X2, the second X-Men movie. Mm-hmm. Those, those are my top four. And then, you know, below that, you kind of got Guardians. Um, for me, X-Men Days of Future Past, just a half step below that. So I think Civil War will probably end up being in the top five, even if it's not number one, which means that four of my five will be either Avengers or Captain America movies. And as you pointed out in our previous podcast, you know, the cap, um, uh, movies are like Avengers 0.5, like 1.5, 2.5, you know, this, like, like Civil War is going to be 2.5. Uh, it's not a coincidence. We spent a lot of time talking about how everything runs through Cap and Cap runs through everything in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about Cap leading up to Civil War. I-, I want this to be primarily about the movie. We'll get into all the thematic and character stuff uh, once we get rolling with the movie, but, um, uh, just really quick, Matt. Any uh, any any stories or, or thoughts about about the Avengers before we get to the countdown? Um, I feel like I've told uh, my biggest one already. You know, this was the last movie that I saw in t- before I moved to Oklahoma for my job in 2012. Hmm. So it also that's actually not true. I saw Prometheus the day of my move, or the day before. <laughs> oh, but God. that movie is not actually very is not very good. So this was the last movie that I saw with like all my friends, and it was like a big thing that we planned. Uh, and so that gives this movie an extra little bit of nostalgic kick for me. Um, yeah, I mean, as I've copped to before, I didn't see it in the theater. Don't know why, but got it on Blu-ray, watched it a million times. 
Um, I, I wasn't even going to rewatch it for this because I know it by heart almost, but I couldn't resist the temptation. So I watched it like a week or two ago, knowing that we were going to do this. And uh, it, it's a really special movie. And I think there's just some things, both structurally, but also in terms of the time it came out and the influence it had, that it, it may not you know, be permanently the best comic book movie. I don't know if you agree with this, but it'll never be topped in terms of what it was specifically trying to achieve. Yeah, I think as a phenomenon, it was entirely unique. Um, I think it changed very much the way people approached a lot of not just superhero movies, even though we're seeing right now DC is basically just trying to copy the the Marvel Cinematic Format uh, formula, um, but they're talking about creating a shared universe of horror characters like Wolfman and the Mummy, you know, like the old um, black and white movies for you know Hammer horror films. Right. They're just copying what Marvel is doing with that. I mean, we're seeing examples of this over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, and that, I think, makes this the most game-changing superhero movie, really since the first Richard Donner Superman. Yeah, I mean, you know, as the reviews come in for Captain America the Civil War, and then we'll jump into the countdown, um, you know, there's plenty of Batman v Superman comparisons, obviously. I mean, we've been making them, you know, since the minute we saw Batman v Superman. Um <laughs> And, you know, The Avengers was the anti-Dark Knight movie, but for a totally different reason. It ha- that had to do not with quality, but just, you know, the way it was filmed, the issues it was addressing or not addressing. You know, tone. The, the tone, you know, thematically, the genre, you know, having, you know, one really important and gripping central character in Batman versus a whole team of, you know, interesting characters and so, you know, I think DC sort of learned the wrong lesson um, about differentiating their movies. And one thing we can talk about is ways in which, um, you know, movies, both in and out of the comic book world, were perhaps influenced by this. Um, so, without further ado, we're going to take you into the countdown. Um, Matt and I are using uh, iTunes uh, digital files so this, because it's the official version, you know, any version you watch on Blu-ray or DVD or digital file should align. Um, just to give the quick little spiel, you should definitely have subtitles on. I like to put about, you know, 10%, 5 or 10% uh, ambient uh, sound in the background just to catch a little bit of the music uh, and the action without it bleeding over too much. I leave that to you. So cue up your uh, DVDs, Blu-rays, digital files, iTunes files, whatever, to zero hours, zero minutes, zero seconds. Uh, Matt, you queued up, buddy? I am. All right, I can't believe we're actually doing this. This is awesome. <laughs> we're doing the fucking Avengers, people. Yeah. Okay, this is going to be great. Um, the challenge here will be to not go you know, giddy to the point of our head exploding. Right. All right, people, so hopefully you're lined up. I'll give you a quick pause here, and I'm going to take you into the countdown. And when I say go, counting down from three, uh, you should hit play immediately um, when I say go. All right, Matt, here we go. Three, two, one, go. Three, four, five. Yep. yep. All right. Here are the Marvel's title credits. So this is before they had the um, Marvel Studio title credits music, but it's perfect because we want to jump right into the Tesseract and the, and the cosmic stuff. Um, 
Matt, you saw this in the theater. I did not. Um, how long did it take you to realize this was going to be everything you wanted and more? Um, I mean, I was very excited leading into this movie. I definitely watched every trailer that I could. I read every review that I could just to have confirmation. Um, I, I think probably this intro is fine. Um, I don't know that it super pumped me up because none of these characters are uh, people we've ever seen before. Um, even though I knew that was Loki just because they say Loki is a bad guy. Um, Chitari, by the way, from the comics, they are comic characters. They are very different, and they're part of, I think, the Ultimate Universe, um, which was sort of an alternate reality that Marvel ran with for a bunch of years. Um, so they are, the, they're basically a name from the comics, but not beings from the comics. I think in the comics, they're lizard-like, and they can shapeshift. This scene um, where we have... Clark Gregg and Samuel Jackson interacting, which and, I and Kobe Smulders. Don't forget and Kobe Smulders. <laughs> and Kobe Smulders, who I don't watch Lost, which I believe was the show she got made her like. Oh. I thought that's what made her career, and then I think she was on How I Met Your Mother, which I also didn't watch. Oh, okay. Um, but I don't think Samuel Jackson and Clark Gregg have interacted in a prior Marvel movie before. Right. Um, all the scenes where he, Samuel L. Jackson shows up in. Um, uh, Iron Man, he always leaves and Clark Gregg comes later. So just seeing them interact, which is like the first sign that this is going to be a convergence of prior films, um, init- I immediately started getting excited. Um, and I like that they jump right into the problem. I, I like that this, we, you know, we're going to meet the bad guy five or ten minutes into this movie. There's not much setup. They are relying on the audience to have been following all the plot already, so they don't need to repeat a whole lot. They're right. just going to get into this. Yeah, and, and what's great, though, about the scene is these guys all just seem like a bunch of career bureaucrats, mm-hmm. especially if you haven't seen the Avengers and the teases. Clark Gray, in particular, just seems like the ultimate company man, and he is the ultimate company man, but for good, you know? I, I've compared him to the anti-Agent Smith, <laughs> you know? Like, he sort of looks like he could be an agent of the Matrix, except he's the biggest <laughs> heart of anybody in the entire movie, uh, you know, uh, uh, other than maybe Cap, who he worships. Kobe Smulders, while not always living up up to what I want her to be is actually great in the Winter Soldier and quite critical in that movie. Um, Nick Fury, we have known for a while. Coulson has been showing up, and uh, you know the Phase One movies. I sh- it should be said this is the final movie of Marvel Phase One, which included Iron Man One and Two, Thor One, Cap One, and Hulk One. Although Hulk was the obviously incredible Hulk. Uh, the incredible Incredible Hulk, um, which was recast as Mark Ruffalo, who's easily one of the highlights of this movie. Yeah, he he definitely, I think, surprised everybody with how much humanity he managed to bring to the role. Um, And with The Incredible Hulk, if you didn't see it, I I said in a previous podcast I saw every MCU movie in theaters. I was wrong. That one I did rent much later. But the thing is with that movie, if you didn't even see it, there's been so few references to the events or characters in it that it doesn't matter. I mean, the couple, I can't think of any off the top of my head. And I feel like the one or two that I, I learned about when they happened, I kind of thought, oh, well, they just have to make some perfunctory, hey, we made Incredible Hulk, you know, and reference to it. But it really doesn't matter. Okay, so I'm a big Renner defender. We talked in our last podcast. Matt's not a huge fan 
I love him as Hawkeye and as Barton. I love his relationship with Scarlet. We don't get to see much of him as a, as a fleshed-out good guy to the second movie. I, I've joked before, Matt, that Whedon must have been promising uh, Jeremy Ratter, being like, look, you're going to be mind-controlled the whole first movie. You're not going to love it, but I'm going to make you the, the center of the second movie with your family and you being the one to turn the twins to the good side, essentially. Uh, and Ratter being like, all right, I'll take that. Um, but, oh, here it comes. By the way, convenient that there's, like, a staircase where the Tesseract's beaming, <laughs> even though they don't know that this thing is supposed to beam a portal to another planet. Who cares? This is glorious. That is certainly true. Look. Um, boom. I, I don't know that Whedon promised uh, Renner anything of this sort. No, I don't think so. I, I don't think Whedon knew he was coming back to make Ultron. I... I'm sort of still of the opinion he maybe didn't even want to make it, but yeah, Marvel that's, just that's paid been him over, That's been overstated. He, eh, Ultron, I don't know if it is. He doesn't like doing the same things over and over well, again. He wanted to make Ultron. To be more a Firefly. I don't. He wanted the bad guy to be Ultron. He said that, but he never was sure he was coming back. The, the, um, when he made, when they were interviewing directors, his proposal to Marvel was the modified Age of Ultron story. Now, whether the final product is exactly <laughs> put down the spear, whether yeah. the final product is what he wanted, you know, is one thing. But he he's on record as saying Ultron was the one he really wanted to do. I always thought he would do the second one, and and never thought he would do the third one. And he's not. Here's Loki being awesome. You know, Loki's such a compelling villain. If you look at his lines on the page, though, he's completely one dimensional in this movie, other than like three or four tiny moments with his brother uh, and you know Romanoff and so forth. Uh, we kind of divided up the characters a little bit because there's so much going on i'm going to be sort of team cap slash natasha romanoff matt's going to be talking about um thor uh, loki and uh, iron man um or at least heading it uh yeah just really quick it's interesting that he detects the strength in barton loki has a sense of who can be useful and uh, you know what's great is dr selvig who's from thor and one of the best parts of thor I, uh, Hawkeye mind control never really works for me, but Selvig, it seems to me, is channeling a version of when he gets drunk with Thor, essentially. He's, you know, w- when he's being mind controlled, the way he slurs and he talks and so forth. Mm-hmm. So for me, Selvig mind control is, is really hilarious here. Okay, well, go ahead. Well, that's, uh, I, the actor is Stellan Skarsgård, right? Uh, who plays yep. Selvig, who's yep. a really good actor. Great actor. Um, who's been, I think, at it for a long time. Um, Interesting thing about Loki in this scene. So something I have gotten mad at films for in the past is needless destruction and needless killing. This movie, you have now seen all but I would I think one person that Loki is going to kill in this entire film. They get it out of the way in the first three minutes. They're soldiers, so you don't feel like innocent people are dying. And that's it. That's all you need to establish how vicious and violent Loki is. And yet, and yet... When Thor first meets everyone on the helicarrier after you know they do the comparative power fight, uh, you know they're they're sort of talking about how like what a psycho lunatic he is. Right. And Thor goes, well, you know he may be beyond reason, but he's still my brother. And Black Widow goes, he killed eighty people in two days. And Thor goes, he's adopted. You know that little bit. But you oh know, yeah, it's they, hilarious. It's, it's hilarious. Wonderful. But they say he killed eighty people, but we never see it. That's so Avengers. They they tell us how many people are dying, but we never actually see it. But I've sort of right, come because to because they I've, only yeah. have to show him killing four Boom. people and that's enough everything else Never you can infer of course he'd kill 80 people look at how badly he killed these people he yeah. stabbed one and threw knives into the other one's neck of course he'd kill 80 people but yeah. not forcing us to watch a lot of people die is 
yes. I think shows a little bit more awareness on Joss Whedon's behalf than uh, other film directors sometimes do with big action blockbusters like this. So uh, there, there are many moments in this movie where it almost seems like Joss Whedon is challenging himself to not kill people. It makes him actually a gag, like with the fighter pilot later, who you think Hulk is going to kill and doesn't. Uh, you know, it's because in Firefly and Serenity, Whedon was trying to kill as many people as possible that he could get away with to make, but in that universe is much different. Here, it's like he's challenging himself. Look at this. Boom. Kobe smolders right into the truck. She did that stunt herself. That's really yep. hard to do. She's such a badass that, you know, her occasional bad line, I, I really could care less because as, as an action star and support character, Character. And actually, um, you know, narratively, she's somewhat important in this movie in terms of being kind of the voice at Samuel L. Jackson's head or whatever, you know, always wondering if they're doing the right thing. So she actually does quite well here. Um, Interesting uh, casting story about her. Um, I've li- watched this movie with Whedon's commentary. I've watched the uh, deleted scenes. What he said is the scene that the women that tried out for the role uh, had to do was one in which they suspected that Samuel L. Jackson had been possessed by Loki. Uh. And of all the people to try out, she was the only one who decided at the end of the scene to actually shoot uh, Nick Fury. Obviously, the gun doesn't have anything in it, but she pulls the trigger at the end, and she was the only actress, reportedly, who did that. And Whedon liked that that was her take on who Maria Hill was. Interesting. Um, this is a really cool driving sequence, by the way. I, I don't know how they blew up just one half of the car because it certainly looks practical um, and they kept going. But props to the stunt drivers because that's not easy, that stuff, and they, they pull it off pretty well. Yeah, actually, the um, the CGI and the practical connects much better here than in the Battle of New York. It's, a, you know, it's at night here and it's a much smaller scene. Yeah, um, but- but they had to, to they had to establish early about. that um you know that that they could do it you know to really bring you into this world that the scepter you know felt felt really tactile i mean it you know it's little things like the scepter had to be cool but also sort of realistic within the universe right does that make sense sure um i would also say uh simply with the cgi We'll get to this. The Battle of New York, I think, is supposed to be celebratory in some extent, that they are celebrating that they have gotten to this point, that the movie hasn't fallen apart, that the team is together, that the experiment right. worked. We'll get into all of that in more detail. <laughs> so Sorry. If- For, you have Samuel L. Jackson, you, you know, constantly using a handgun to take down, you know, huge, yeah. huge enemies. What does he think is going to happen here? I assume the pilot dies. That doesn't look good for the helicopter. This is a great effect here. By yeah. the way, something I want to talk about a lot is the sound design in this movie. Mm-hmm. The sound design in this movie is excellent. And, oh, yeah. And the occasional, you know, bad CGI uh, to practical lack of connection, the sound is like in New York at the end, the, the sound really holds it together and keeps you keeps you in it um, because of how just visceral and, and real it is. And, and Whedon's always been good at that. Go ahead, buddy. I uh, also really think uh, the CGI is something you only really start thinking about when you're not enjoying other elements of the film. This movie is so fucking fun yeah. that I don't care. I, 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 I'm no, not paying CGI attention No, the CGI is something that point. I noticed after watching the movie a million times. Yeah, uh, after and a I still times, don't care. Maybe you and... Dun, 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 dun. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, Great intro. Um, mama. <laughs> meanwhile, I, Samuel L. Jackson, boy, talk about a, a man born to play Nick Fury. I mean, he yep. just crushes this role. Um, you know, shooting handguns at planes and trucks. You totally buy. That's what his character would do. There's no going uh, back to white Nick Fury, if you know what I'm saying. No, and they've actually 
they've done versions of Nick Fury comics where he's basically looks like Samuel L. Jackson. Okay. And I think it happened before. Okay. So as you know, I love Scarlett Johansson. I love her as black widow. This scene's hilarious and amazing. It's not a coincidence that Joss Whedon went to this scene first um, after what they call the cold open there with shield. Right. Part of it is Joss Whedon loves his badass female warriors. You know, I mean, he's known for it, you know, buff from Buffy to summer glow and, and serenity and firefly. He, he, you know, even Eliza Dushku and, and Dollhouse, mm-hmm. who w- was not a good show, and she's not a great actress, so that wasn't really her fault. He loves writing for young female uh, badasses. And right. I would argue that along with Cap, Natasha's actually the heart of this movie in terms of being connected to so many people. And that's one of the reasons I'm going to argue as we go forward. We don't need to get into this now, man, just to lay the groundwork that I think they knew that Winter Soldier was going to be her and him, and so they had to be sort of the heart of the team uh, who would continue fighting even after the Avengers kind of separate. This is great, you know. I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe just because I had known about Black Widow by the time the Blu-ray came out, but you see this even for the first time, and you know nothing about Black Widow, you're going, okay, there's more going on here than we're being told, Mm -hmm. right? And then, uh, oh, here it comes. <laughs> this is the most badass line uh, I think Phil Coulson will ever say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I love this. I got an F-22 exactly eight miles out. Put the woman on the phone or I blow up the block. <laughs> or you can make the lobby. I, it's, that's the moment that changes the tone of this entire scene. Well, and this, she, um, uh, and this upcoming insert shot of him holding on the phone while she kicks their asses. Go ahead. Right. I love that. I, I love the guy saying, I'm it's not more giving awesome. up everything. <laughs> more, but, but little things. She goes, I'm working. What, why are you calling me? You know, like, right. she's pissed that, 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 he's, that he's trying to interrupt what's going on here. You thought she was complete. And this is a mirror, of course, with Loki, where you think Loki has the advantage over her psychologically, and that turns out not to be the case. Right. Boom. Here we but go. But this is the first scene that shows exactly how much uh, emotional depth both Johansson has as an actress and this character has when she is in Iron Man two, she's pretty one note. She just that was the last minute casting. That was supposed to be Emily Blunt. Did you know it? Emily Blunt? I didn't know that. To, yeah, maybe she'd have done a good job. Um, but in this scene, she is oh. brave. I think actually scared a little bit. I mean, she knows she can get out of it, but it still has got to be a little bit unnerving to be right on the edge of falling down a, a mine shaft or whatever yeah, that is. I don't think she's ever scared. I think she's playing scared. I think her adrenaline is rushing, but she is also... Because we uh, see her really scared coming up with the big guy, with the Hulk. And by right. the way, it's great how they divided up who's picking up who. A lot yeah. of thought went into who's bringing who in. Right? She thinks the big guy is Stark, and he goes, no, 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 I got Stark. You got the big guy. Um, then well, we what see this movie really does scared. establish is that Coulson and Black Widow are the connective tissue to this yes. team. It's re- Coulson is maybe, I mean, he even calls himself the glue that holds the team together. And as oh, we're yeah. going to see, he is certainly going to be the thing that brings them all together this at the is, end. Uh, this is totally a set. This is a giant, giant, giant set here. This is not is India. Yep. It looks amazing. Um, and just to follow on that previous thought, man, not only are they the connective tissue, but I talk about how Coulson isn't the best at really anything. He's just really good at a lot of stuff, but what he is the best at is knowing his personnel. 
mm-hmm. you see that in the movie here, and you also see that in Agents of Shield. He doesn't always make the right call in Agents of Shield, and his emotions get clouded. But that's sort of the whole point: is Shield is is corrupted, and Coulson has to be the one to recognize who is good and who is talented to rebuild Shield. But you can see the seeds here with knowing who should pick up who and yep. so forth. And the only time he loses his his cool is Captain America because of his hero worship, which we'll get to. Okay, so do you mind if I just wrap on this scene for for a minute here? Sure. So when we all saw this movie, no one thought Banner Romanoff was going to be a love story. Joss Whedon has said numerous times, as have both of these actors, that they were never intended to be a love story. But if you watch how the, they play the scene and how she looks at him and talks to him, and then the way she tries to calm him down later, which is a uh, a, a, pre, um, a prelude to the lullaby which they develop. Some people like the Banner Romanoff love story in the second movie. I don't really want to talk about it. I just love that when you make great movies like this, you get some happy coincidences. And one of them is their chemistry with one another, I think. This is one of my favorite. I mean, that's the thing. Rom- Romanoff is in a lot of my favorite dra- drama scenes in this movie. Mm-hmm. Look how skinny um, he is. Ruffalo looks so skinny here. I, uh, I Everything about this scene is fantastic, not the least of which is Mark Ruffalo doing something in his first 30 seconds as Banner that Eric Bana and Ed Norton totally just never pulled off, um, which is bringing a real sense of scope and dimensionality to this character. Um, you know, Whedon has said that the Hulk is basically a werewolf story, you know, that you turn into something violent and monstrous that you can't yeah, control. Yeah, would say that, yeah. Um, and, you know, Banna, his version of Bruce Banner represses all of his emotions. He, they say that in the movie on a few occasions. Um, interesting um, yes. fact about this scene. Well, look at this. I love the little... Rocking, yeah. Whedon said that was something Ruffalo just came up with while walking around the set. Um, well, actually, it, the set designers put it there without being specifically told to, and then Ruffalo came up with pushing it. Which, right. Again, uh, talking about synergy in a movie, great things happen when it's already great. It just gets greater. Go ahead. But it, that little motion explains so much about what he's had to give up because of being the Hulk. And then obviously later on we're going to get to that it actually makes him suicidally depressed at times. Not to mention both of them are sterile for completely different reasons and then want to get together in the second movie and can't have babies. Again, there's no way they knew that ahead of time. Sometimes these things just work out. Okay, so Yeah, I I don't know if Black Widow is sterilized in the comics. I honestly didn't like that, but I don't want to get into that because that's a different movie. Um, Oh, man. But this is awesome. That was mean – it's just that that was the party trick, which he does again in the second movie with the Heber. And there's the fear. Whether or not she shows it in the warehouse or here. That's what I'm saying. This is this real is, fear. This looks totally different. This is real fear, I think. Right here. Boom. Look at her. She's shaking. See it, you can see her neck is twitching. You know, her cheeks. There's something weird going on with her cheeks, or maybe it's just the lighting. Um, but you can see she's holding her breath. I mean, I love how they think that forty guys with guns are going to do anything against the Hulk. But hey, wait, well, wait. they know they got to do something. Maybe if nothing else, they shoot him long enough for her to get away, and that they're cannon fodder. Maybe, you know? uh, maybe Coulson redirected the F twenty two over that airspace. By the way, as I mentioned before, the F twenty two has been canceled since this movie. Uh, <laughs> it, but actually, the the, the 
the jet with the single uh, engine uh, that turns that we see is actually an F-35, which is a modern jet that is a real thing. I think people just know what F-22 means. And so, you know, again, uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about the military stuff in Battle of New York. This stuff with the council is great, man. So looking back on it, okay, so when I bring up Ultron and stuff, we don't need to argue about what we like or don't like. I just want to talk about how the storyline has gone from phase one to phase two and now to phase three. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I want to ask you is, do you think they knew that Hydra was going to be a big part of the future, A, and B, if they thought so, are they setting up the Security Council here as future Hydra knowingly, especially at the end when they send the nuke against Fury's uh, will? Go ahead. I don't I've never heard anything either way but I actually do believe they had a hunch somebody in on that council at least was a bad guy. I mean Gideon Malik who is one of the villains that comes up in the last couple of seasons of Agents of Shield um oh, is one of those guys uh played by I I think his name is Powers yeah. Booth who is just a fantastic bad guy voice. So I want to say yes. Um they had a hunch that this council had already been co-opted look at this Um, okay so i recently did a cap one uh the first avenger commentary i hadn't seen the movie more than once or twice it had been a couple years but i forgot that part of the nts along with an avengers trailer was this scene Mm -hmm. and they showed almost this entire scene up until fury says trying to save it Right. And then they go into like a 30-second Avengers trailer, which I don't know how they had ready in July of 2011. That was really amazing. Maybe I think they'd actually shot just a couple of scenes so they could have the teaser ready to go. But the color, you know, but the color filter, everything and the angles are exactly in the final film. Oh, this is a great reveal of Fury. So, um, so you know, let's talk about Cap a little bit. Other than being a little pissed and disoriented, as you pointed out, the cool part about this movie is going from being disoriented to taking action to right. feel, feel more oriented. What else do you think he's been doing the last year or so uh, up until here? I think he's he's tried. Oh, this but- is his line, by the way. You brought this up. Where he says, I wake up, they say we, we, we won. They didn't, didn't say, say what we lost. And then right. later in the movie, I believe the quote that you quoted was, I was wrong, nothing has changed. Or this world is exactly the exactly same. Or he says same. something like that. Yeah. Um, interesting thing about this movie, if you want to know how to make a movie that doesn't actually have origin stories in it, this is a good uh, place to start because yeah. they show a couple of flashbacks. So clearly he fought in a war and then was frozen or whatever. And then later on, Tony Stark makes fun of his origin, and that's it. They don't really say what the Hulk's origin is. Iron Man gets a, he takes 10 seconds to explain how his heart magnet reactor thing works. We don't always need to have the, uh, you know, they don't explain anything about what Asgardians are, except these guys are basically like gods. So there's one sense explaining what Thor is, and that's it. We didn't trust everybody is going to either know everything else from other movies or is going to figure it out just watching this movie and figuring out who these people are from context. Okay, so quick um, cosmology question. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Okay, here, this is great. Yeah, by the way, you had to leave Iron Man for last and you had to have Coulson be the guy to do it. Uh, oh, yeah. But we'll, we'll get there. This is so, all just CGI, but what sells it is it that you have great. two human voices interacting while it's going on. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Christmas, except more me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and you had to have Fury get capped. 
because he was the first guy kept Matt coming out of the ice, essentially. Mm-hmm. And you had to have Natasha get Bruce just because she's the most soothing, I think, you know, presence of all of them. He has the least chance of, of going off uh, with Romanoff. And in fact, even though he does go off in the helicarrier, she talking to him almost prevents it from happening, but it doesn't. And, and she gets very upset about it. But anyways, so at the end of Cap 1, before they come to the future and, and, and Cap wakes up from the ice, Howard Stark is combing the ocean and they find the cube. Right. And it's not clear. He doesn't say take the cube or leave it. I, I thought he left it there on, perf- on purpose at Howard Stark. Then they said, no, you know, Howard Stark found Cap in the ice uh, looking for the cube. Or I'm sorry, found the cube looking for Cap in the ice. Not right. really clear about when the cube end or Cap came out. Um, no need to answer that unless you have a specific answer that I'm just uh, missing that's obvious. Not real. I, I mean, look how great this. Who looks, did they by find the first or se- yeah? It's okay, that's so, very seamless CGI. Right. Uh, that alone is really cool. That, look, that okay. works. So really quickly before this, which gets really cute and funny, this movie had a two hundred twenty million dollar budget. Cap one was one forty. Thor one was one fifty. So for seventy eighty million more dollars, this looks like an entire generation forward of special effects. Um, it, it, there's really only three bad shots in the entire movie. It usually has to do with a green screen, and that's really a small issue. Mm-hmm. But who cares? Because we got these two. I know you love this scene. I love this scene. Go for it. Yeah, I, this interaction. <laughs> this is still the best relationship. In I terms did do all of, the heavy lifting. Literally, I lifted the heavy things. <laughs> I love the look she gives when he talks about the the shirtless dudes coming up the elevator. Uh, um, yeah. You know, she's. <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow is really good at facial expressions and conveying a lot with just a simple look. Right. Um, as is he. That's why they as make them he, great. Which is what makes them work as a relationship in a way that some of the other ones in this don't work. <laughs> I love that. Uh, Next one will say, Pot's on the tower. And she goes, No, on the lease. He goes, <laughs> I, It's odd. I actually think uh, Tony Stark's mustache is one of the more expressive parts of his face. I don't know how to explain that, but there's something about it that exaggerates his emotions in a way that makes him funnier and also makes him take up more space. Well, as someone who's who's been bearded in numerous ways since I was 18 years old – he sh- to shave it like that, you have to shave well above the lip. So you're going for like a very specific right. look that really only works when you have a tight goatee. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when we see the at the very end, all the people celebrating the Avengers, you see all, you know other men in other countries getting the Tony Stark yeah. haircut and everything. It's great, you know. It just works perfectly on him. He wears that same shirt all the time. I love it. I think that's a that's an ACDC shirt or or no Black Sabbath. Maybe it's not he here. He wears a Black Sabbath shirt at one point, which is funny. Um, we'll get to this when he makes his debut uh, <laughs> in the fight against Loki. Gosh, she's never so quite cute. Un- yeah. I've never quite understood uh, the ACDC thing. If Iron Man is supposed to be this rah-rah American hero, you know, when he introduces himself in the first Iron Man movie, he says, that's how my dad did it, that's how America does it, it's worked pretty well so far. Yeah, they're not why American. is his theme music Australian? You're overthinking it, they just need the Iron Man song, that's why. And, well, that's Black Sabbath, but all the music in the Iron Man movies is ACDC, which is an Australian rock band. Uh, I, I feel like maybe that music is just easy to get the rights to, because I would guess they would lend their music to anything. 
Um, well, I think it fits his personality. It's loud. It it's boisterous. It's in your face. It's sort of fuck you. It's not particularly deep. This um, is, I, I love this yeah. look by Clark. Ray. It's so <laughs> funny. <laughs> he's just so uncomfortable and. He's so, he's great on Agents of Shield. He's the yeah. thing that keeps me going with that show, you know. Um my dad did not love Coulson at first, but now he swears by him, you know. Uh and if you watch his little appearances, especially in Thor, I love Coulson in Thor. When he goes, you know, when the destroyer shows up and he's got the megaphone, he goes, "Excuse me, sir, you've got unregistered weaponry." <laughs> <laughs> And then at the end, with Thor, save the world, he goes up to Thor, and he goes, okay, Donald, I don't think you've been completely honest with me. <laughs> oh, here it comes. This is it. I talk about Cap being a, a legend within his own mythology all the time, and this is where it starts. Joss Whedon with these two characters, you know, and they play it great. At the moment, it's all business. He's, you know, he's getting caught up to speed with the Avengers, about how Banner turns to the Hulk. He's like a smart person. <laughs> Talking about Stephen Hawking, you know, they try not to be condescending to Cap. And what's great is, as the movies go along, Cap really is trying hard to catch up. I well, sort of I watched well, him while no, you were sleeping. Iron Man, <laughs> Iron Man is actively condescending to him, and then yes, when he is yes, able yes, to yes. compliment him when he's confronting Loki right at the end, it's a sign that he's actually grown to respect this person. But all the jokes that he makes are. You know, you're old. You know, he calls him a capsicle. Well, there's a, there's a major fella, you know, Pilates. <laughs> What's your secret, Pilates? Um, there, there's a thread of jealousy um, with, with uh, Tony Stark because of how close his dad was to Cap and how he yep. raved. I mean, Tony Stark probably grew up on stories of Captain America from his daddy, right? Yeah. And now that he's here... Uh, you know, he he's sort of a little, I, I don't know if jealous is the right word, but he's sort of resentful of it, you know? Um, I, I I think that's big, a big part of what's going on. Howard Stark was a huge part of the first movie, more than I had remembered. Now he's in, he's in Agent Carter, occasionally on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as a spinoff from Carter. Um, and I think, you know... He's so good on Agent Sh- Car- Carter. Yeah. He, he, have a late night fondue. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here we he's, go. He's uh, a... So this is uh, the guy doing the voice of this guy. I'm blanking on uh, Alexis Denisoff. The this watcher, is an actor from. Uh, yeah, he, he's from Angel and uh, Buffy. Oh. Um, so a Whedon guy. They basically did all these shots in one day. So okay, here's here's the question: Is he really here right now, or is this is this just a mental project? Because we know Loki and Thor, he projects himself onto Earth. Um, from Asgard to talk to Thor and lie about his dad being dead or whatever um, right. without using the Bifrost. He's not really there. He's just projecting himself. Loki's, yeah, I think this is... Loki's teleportation uh, abilities are not totally clear to me. I tend to think this is a mental projection based on how they frame it, um, but I- I'm open to other interpretations. I think it's some kind of mental projection as well. If One... I'm not entirely sure Loki can teleport. Certainly not the super long range that this, you know, it would require to to show up at this guy's doorstep or whatever. Um, but and that also, I don't no, think it's no, a no, no. I'm not. I'm not suggesting he teleported here. I'm just wondering if it's related to his ability to. I don't know. Move I around. Mean, I think this is um, mental projection because when he yeah. touches his head in the scene that we're about to see. 
Loki is clearly, he feels something. I mean, he feels fear over what he just experienced. Um, so oh, I okay. think... Okay, so just connecting the dots. The Watcher is Thanos' right-hand man until Ronan kills him, but decapitates him. Oh, yeah, see, his head moves and he Snaps. is actually nervous. Clearly, this wasn't just talking to a hologram. This was clearly something that he actually physically had to interact with. Right, so I think that, that scene... While it's you know mustache twirling, it's a plot scene. It's fine. It's a but it's also a character scene that Loki's afraid of somebody. You know, it's important that Loki, other than his brother, he he claims not to be afraid of anyone until the end. I think it's important this early on that you know he has an army, but even that army it pales in comparison to the power of Thanos, who's not mentioned in name. I think that was the joke there that didn't land, where where he goes, "Ma'am," and she goes, "Hi," give him a little nod or whatever. So here's their first interaction: Scarlet and Chris Evans, Romanoff and Rogers. They're already comfortable with each other. He's talking about Coulson swooning over Captain America, trading cards. You know, Cap's actually a little happy about it. Um, he's very pro- okay. This is go. great. Oh, All God. of his posturing, the way he's turning, and he's slightly hunched to one side. <laughs> he's um, always bumping into things or thinking he's going to bump into things. It's just amazing. He he inflects his voice to be nerdy, but it's not over the top. This is it. So the the line coming up here uh, sets up Cap's character, even if you've never you know heard of him or knew anything about him. Um, I, I think we just missed it actually. Where, where, right? Where Evan says, "I hear you can help us get the cube." The word is, "You can help us get the cube." And Ruffalo says, "Is that the only word on me?" And Cap says, "Only word I care about." You know, that sums up Cap. And as I talked about on previous podcasts, even though he can never fully trust Banner because of the Hulk thing, he trusts the guy morally. And, and actually, Banner has the best heart after Cap. I think. Um, well, what I find interesting team, is... in terms of morality or ethics. Go ahead. I'm not sure about that. What what I find interesting is in this movie early on, eventually they all believe in each other and everything. Cap believes in Banner. Stark believes in the Hulk. That's the fundamental difference between them. And it's why ultimately uh, I think Banner comes back is because of what Stark is able to tell him to believe in his potential, not just as Banner trying to hide something, but that right. even the Hulk can be a force for good and a force for change and – it's telling that the Hulk saves Iron Man at the end of this movie. Um, I kind of disagree with that. I think Stark does believe in Banner, and that's I where the science bros I think he believes in Banner, bonus. too, but I think he be- his belief in the Hulk is what ultimately convinces Banner to get back in the fight. Yeah. You know? I, I, as cocky as Iron Man is in this movie, he saves the day in this one. Right. Both, I mean, he saves the helicarrier, and then he's he's leading the force, at least militarily, in New York, and then he can, you know, because of his relationship with Banner, gets Banner back into the fight at the end, and then Iron Man, of course, famously tells Cap to call it in the hero circle. So right. really, the entire MCU, up until that moment in the hero circle when he says, call it Cap, Iron Man's the guy in charge, and that's exactly what they wanted for the the first movie um but they're not he's so popular without the hulk there's everybody's circle up moment doesn't happen until the hulk shows up so he's not the leader i don't know if you want to call him the he takes charge he certainly probably destroys the most jatari simply because of how unstoppable he is um he's not the leader he's just because of his charisma and just you know irrational confidence I mean, think about it loki almost destroys I love that scene by the yeah, way yeah. the 10 bucks this is what I, I don't want to talk about other superhero movies too much, but 
there's nothing wrong with throwing little lines and jokes in there every once in a while. You don't lose dramatic tension. You don't lose suspense. They're just moments of fun and levity that bring the whole thing to life in a way that other movies can feel lifeless because they are so somber all the time. Right, and the best Whedon scripts do this, where every line has a purpose that pays off, often comedically but, or dramatically later on. The $10 is just a very simple example, but the whole Coulson setup, if you look <laughs> at every single Coulson scene, in terms of what he says, what he does, what he looks like, the relationships, they all you know, conglomerate and converge at his death and what his death causes. There's no... And here's the thing. There's almost no excess in this movie. Um, I, I guess my main, not complaint, uh, th- I think something people don't realize is how much like a Hollywood movie this is shot. And if you've seen Serenity, and even I would say Age of Ultron, um, Age of Ultron was Hollywood in terms of being way over the top of special effects, but it had sort of a non-traditional structure, and he did do some more, in- Whedon that is, some more interesting things with cameras. This is really shot like a Hollywood movie, but you had to. And dude... I'm telling this movie made more than Iron Man 2, Cap mm-hmm. 1 and Thor 1 combined. Right. Okay. And I actually think the slightly more standard uh oh, shooting style was by design. Yes. The the shaky cam, found footage, zooms, all that stuff that you see in smaller budget super, uh sci-fi or superhero stuff like Firefly or Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Here comes is the payoff, right? I'm sorry. It's not much trouble. It's a vintage set. Yeah. <laughs> He, uh, oh, we actually said God. this line about um, foxing around the edges. Yeah. He was like, "That's one of my favorite lines that I got into this script." I was afraid they were going to cut it. Um, Slight foxing around the edges. Oh, here's so gonna, well. Right. What I was going to say is the the shooting style of more shaky cam zooms, things like that. Uh, that creates a sense of intimacy. But what I think Whedon is going for here is something much more of a grand epic panoramic scope. You know, this is supposed to be a large sweeping shooting style of a large sweeping movie to inaugurate this grand experiment that they've been building towards for five movies. Um, And that is trying to get an audience that doesn't necessarily want intimacy because they don't really have a lot of connection to these characters outside of a movie or two. That's an interesting point. I think it has just something to do with money expectations. It it might have. Like, um, for example, to me, this movie, um, to Serenity, is for J.J. Abrams, the Star Wars movie, to the first Star Trek reboot. Yeah, but the thing you have to remember about Serenity is literally the only people who watched that movie were people who watched Firefly. These were the people... The only people who watched that were the ones who were picketing Fox, asking them to bring the show back. Nobody saw that movie that wasn't already very, very, very familiar with those characters and already very, very emotionally invested in those characters. So there's no reason. uh, So (laughs) you keep your shooting tighter so you can just live with the characters. Here you're trying to bring in an audience that doesn't know these guys except from a couple other movies. I'm coming at it from a slightly different angle. What I mean is... The Marvel Studios clearly was looking at Serenity, among other things, when they decided to hire Joss Whedon. Right. They must have loved the filming style. And, he, you know, like when Thor is falling out of the helicarrier later, he gets to do a little bit of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I think Whedon was on board to shoot this more like a traditional big-budget Hollywood movie rather than a Firefly episode. I think so, too. And, and I'm uh, totally fine with it. 
Um, you know, I just hope he gets a chance to do some more Serenity type stuff. By the way, were you watching this the other day? And this thing mm-hmm. about the Avengers, you can watch it a million times and still catch new things. I forgot how long and how loud the classical music plays. And he actually said for a little while he wanted to do the Ring Saga or or something, something Wagnerian, something yeah. that was actually based on Norse mythology. He thought, I think that's a little too on the nose. Yeah, dude, by the way, I talk about how Joss Whedon has a Jewish sense of humor. He's always making biblical references like the Tale right. of Jonah. But to set this in Germany and have the cap joke about disagreeing with Hitler, you gotta love it. You know, They definitely tr- chose Germany for a reason. Here it comes. Oh, yeah. Okay, right here. Because of how that was a Brian Singer thing, they made the blue blast so big that you couldn't see that they were flipping the car behind it. Right. But later on in New York, cars just start flipping every which way. But that looked great. We didn't okay. say they actually had to try that a bunch of times before it worked. I wanted to say with that last scene, the lush opulence of the setting and yep. the really violent, vicious murder. I right. mean, I assume that guy died after having his eye carved out. Sure. Um, is really, really visually spectacular. Um, it's really, really a vibrant scene because of yep. the um, bright whites and luscious colors of the of the opera house or or the the symphony hall. Yeah, and him and what he does was that um, you know that sounded almost like the same exact music as the I think it was the fourth episode of Firefly where <laughs> Anara uh, goes to the ball um, right. and and Mal I have brings no idea. Kill- Mal- I, I, shindig i know exactly oh, shindig yeah 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 uh i think you know and, and we know whedon's done shakespearean stuff he loves to do that kind of thing it's it's great that he gets these it's the thing he gets to do so many kinds of scenes in this movie right. okay not to men like you i talk about how the best writing is when all the characters are right at the same time even while saying different things mm-hmm. this guy's right that they're loki's right that he's not a man but this other guy's right that there are always men like him here we go and it's telling that he's an old man somebody you get the sense Uh-oh. maybe lived through world war ii and we get a superhero saving a person i love seeing superheroes save people i don't just want to see them kill aliens here it comes yes we ended up disagreeing yeah. he says about hitler the soldier. I love that Loki knows all of the Avengers. He must have talked to Barton, mind-controlled, I guess is the idea. He did, actually. There's a, cu- a deleted scene where they, he asks Barton to explain who all these people are. Um, Barton yeah. says he's got a team. They might cause some problems. And he says, tell right. me everything about them. Right. But this is – one thing we didn't talk about is a lot of the early action scenes are about establishing uh-huh. relative power levels. That now we get a chance to see exactly how strong Captain America is compared with an Asgardian. You know, he is strong enough to hurt him. Loki, there's a couple moments where he actually looks a little shocked that he's feeling these punches, but he is also able to hurl uh, Captain America. <laughs> but Captain America's shield is strong enough to reflect loki's staff attack yeah and it's important that like when and he Thor- is not nearly strong enough to survive right. one of iron man's what repulsors okay. or missiles okay so i'm gonna make your move reindeer games fantastic line they make iron man way too powerful the fact that he can keep up with thor for so long is ridiculous but the thing <laughs> is i don't when care thor no i don't care at all i'm just pointing it out from the comics but the thing is when you know when thor hits the hammer on cap shield yeah thor's the one who falls backwards so we know that vibranium is at least as strong as whatever is on Thor's hammer. Mm-hmm. And that's important because if they're going to take on Thanos, right, a relatively non-advanced civilization like ours taking on a guy like Thanos, we have to have some advantages. And right. vibranium is going to be one of them. 
Um, and the and so I think you know among a million other reasons that Black Panther is important, the existence of more vibranium. In or you know, I think Iron Man's going to get a vibranium suit. I mean, they need it. It's the only way they can do it. And so yeah, they had they had to do comparative powers, but keep the guys relatively close. What's interesting is Cap gets way more powerful in Age of Ultron, and looks like he's even more powerful in Civil War. Here they still have him as a World War Two st- style soldier, and mm-hmm. I think part of the reason that they made him stronger in Age of Ultron was to just keep up with these guys. If he's supposed to be the leader and the best just straight-up fighter, you have to make Cap a little bit stronger. But for the first movie, I totally agree with it. Boom! So I talk about how, you know, they recruit everyone but Thor. They couldn't recruit Thor even if they wanted to, you know? No, he just shows up and it's awesome. Um, Also, I think having people of varying levels of power means you actually have to put some thought into how each character approaches the same conflict. Right. How Hawkeye or Black Widow is going to fight the Chitauri is different than what the Hulk is going to do. Right. You know, and I think that makes it thing, – when things aren't interchangeable, uh, everything become, takes on a little bit more important. Um, I like that everybody – this is a great line by Sart. I have a plan, attack. <laughs> I love that line. I think that's a fantastic line. Yep. Um, Here we go. Cap's going to parachute out. So the geography of this scene makes zero sense. Uh, who cares? It, but, who know, knows where they are? Exactly. I mean, I mean, they're uh, in a forest or a taiga <laughs> or something. Yeah. But, but That but, line about there's only one god, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress oh, like that. So good. Whedon is an atheist, and people wondered why he put that line in there. And he said in his commentary, yeah, I'm an atheist, but Captain America yeah. isn't. He is a... Christian. He is probably a Protestant, um, just based on kind of where he, and where he grew up. Yeah. Um, there's, he, you know, we, I was going to say, there's a lot going on in that line. I'm glad you mentioned that. And it, the thing is, it's something that Jews, Muslims, and Christians can all get behind, because he's talking about monotheism. But it's also a comment about not being intimidated by these supposed demigods, I exactly. think. Yeah. You know, the fact that he grabs the parachute and goes after these guys who can fly says how much braver and how much stronger mentally he is than maybe his power level applies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, all of this, this is all just Shakespearean yelling at each other. It's fine. If you never saw Thor, this is pretty much going to tell you everything you need to know about Thor and Loki, except for that line about he did tell you my true parentage, that he's actually the child of the ice giants no one cares it, they were brothers they fought they didn't like they loved each other or they didn't whatever yeah um, i know you don't love the first thor movie but the two of them are great and I, I i do think you get more out of this relationship if you watch the first thor movie you do but you can still get it. everything you need you can get the bare bones yeah but think about it so they have this interaction here and then they have the quick interaction on the helicarrier where he says, are you ever not going to fall for that? Right. And then they have like a little fight at the end during the Battle of New York. And that is it, you know, uh, for these two brothers. It feels like so much more because you buy them as brothers, even if you like I hadn't seen Thor when I first saw this. And I totally bought them as, you know, adoptive brothers, you know, and, and, and their feelings. And Thor being always angry at Loki and simultaneously wanting him to, to turn back to the good side. Right. That's part of what. One of Thor's uh, more endearing characteristics, I think, mm-hmm. is is that he always thinks that there's good in Loki, even though we can see there's probably not, at least not here. I don't have it. 
Initially, I thought I don't have it was referring to I don't have a home, but he's just referring to the Tesseract. Well, I think it's actually ambiguous. Okay. Um, Now, we missed a moment that I actually really, really wanted to get into. The line, so you take the Earth as recompense for your imagined flight. And then Loki, he gets this look. And one thing I think is interesting (laughs) about Loki's character, and it brings him more this is just people mocking each other, so I don't mind talking over this. No, go, go. I'm that just makes laughing. his character more three-dimensional is <laughs> as cocky as Loki is, I think some of it is actually a self-delusion. Yeah. And when Thor calls him out, the look on his face of somebody has seen through my bravado to right. the scared kid inside of me yep. is very – one, it's well-executed because bu- I, I picked up on it, but it brings – it fleshes out his character – uh, a lot more, you know, well, and I think me, the scene with the watcher is this, or the other, whatever that guy's name is, is the same thing. Watcher, of, yeah. I'm talking a bigger game than I know I actually have. For me, the the scene that describes what you're uh, talking about is when he c- kills Coulson, but before Coulson dies. And Coulson says, you know, you're going to lose because you lack conviction. And, and he gives the you same look. You can see, you look in Loki's eyes for a minute that he does lack conviction. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's brilliant how, how they play that subtly. I guess that's how you get a multidimensional character out of, as I was saying, a one-dimensional character on paper is Loki. doesn't come off that way at all. Okay, so... But what's I, interesting, just finish that yeah, all yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, Loki, go, go, go. his major power until he gets the staff, is his ability to ma- manipulate, to right. lie. That's the same powers in Norse mythology. And so the idea that the only person he can't lie to effectively is himself, that, he, that this bravado doesn't actually convince him that he is this all-powerful being, sure. is really interesting, and it's well conveyed by Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, um, and, and you know, I've talked about the Thor comic books, and, you know, the reality is... You know, Loki is a trickster that's always causing problems for them in the comics, but it's never personal. Like, Thor just keeps falling for it over and over again. They don't have nearly the close relationship they have in the movies, and so they've been much more creative in finding ways for Thor to be self-deluded about helping Loki. In the comics, it's just, you know, it's like magic, essentially. Like, Mm -hmm. Loki just puts a spell on people. And that's something I want to talk about coming up, man, on the Helicarrier, is whether Loki is sort of casting spells of various sorts in addition to just his words, and that's why they have a mask over his mouth at the end of the movie. I think um, he loves his hammer. Oh, I think is they could, isn't his name Loki Silvertongue? Isn't that what he's referred to in Norse mythology? Isn't that re, that where we get that expression from? Um, yeah, yeah. I believe Idris Elba in the first Thor movie makes a reference to his silver tongue turned to lead, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so. Idris Elba as uh, Heimdall. Heimdall. Oh, yeah. man. And finally, we're going to get to see him, I think, of full power in, in Ragnarok. Totally. I, uh, I do love in uh, Thor, the Dark World, where each other Asgardian is like, when you betray him, and finally he just goes, you'll kill me? Evidently, there will be a line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like what a- I wanted to mention about Iron Man's power levels, he, yeah. he might be too strong, he's but too his strong. caveat is he has a limited amount of chest power and his suit takes damage. So right. he can keep up with Thor, but not infinitely. So Thor is much harder to actually wear down because he's just so physically strong and indestructible. Iron Man is powerful, but it's for a limited time. And every Iron Man thing we've seen usually involves by the end his armor is shredded. 
Yeah, um, and, and, which is and one we, of the reasons he keeps tinkering on it right. through all the different movies. And I think we just have to imagine that it's an advanced alloy. That it's not vibranium, but it is no. stronger than any other metal in the real world. Um, even if it's not as strong, it has to be. Well, a lot of it's titanium, isn't it? Because that's what prevents the icing. Yeah, it's uh-huh. some it's some sort of titanium alloy with something right. like coltan or, or a really you know hard to get maybe um, carbon metal. fiber. I don't know. I mean, he probably has changed its composition. What is he up to? Forty different mark mark versions by the um, by the third Iron Man movie. So, yep. so here we are with Loki in the cage, which was not made for him. He immediately recognizes this is for the Hulk. We know that he knows about the Avengers from Hawkeye, who's mind controlled. What I love about this is not only is he scary as hell from prison, he's already scaring them, including Nick Fury, who's trying to be a hard ass, you know, with the ant boot line and, and you know, we want to see what real power is, ch- trying to bully Loki, um, really just shows Fury's own vulnerability and, and naivete about what's really going on in this situation. You know, they structure the entire, you know, middle 45 minutes or so of the movie in the helicarrier all built around the ploy that Loki you know, is going to play them off one another in order to divide and conquer or whatever, as they say later. Um, and so I think you either love this, and I'll throw this to you, Matt, you either love this movie because of the slow burn of the middle act, or you love it in spite. I personally love it because of it, but some people maybe just want to get to the Battle of New York. I have definitely on a few occasions just watched the Battle of New York. Um sure. Well, it's not really fair, though, because that's like 20 minutes of actual, yeah. Exactly. But this is a great scene. This is the scene that sets up a lot of the uh, character dynamics and is really the core of where the relationships, I think, form that are going to be at the heart of <laughs> all of the Avengers. He really um, grows on you, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Ruffalo is so brilliant in this movie. Mm-hmm. I, I can't say enough. Okay, so the Chitari, I don't know from the comics. Okay, this is important that... Thor doesn't know where they're from, but he does know that they're from, uh, you know, not from the Nine Realms um, in Army for Better Space. Mm-hmm. Um, but Thor knows at least, you know, kind of who they are. My biggest problem with Battle of New York is they look super organic, but they destroy the mothership and they all fall over like robots, whatever, we'll get there. Um the thing with a movie like this, and I talk about Guardians, like the bad guys don't even matter because it's the team coming together. You know, like Ronan may not be the most you know interesting and dimensional bad guy, but he's exactly what the Guardians of the Galaxy needed. This is a lot more subtle with Loki. <laughs> <laughs> he's adopted. Yeah. Just the delivery, <laughs> the way he uh, nails it. Yeah, that's one of uh, uh, Thor's better deliveries, along with Ultron, you know, where uh, Vision goes, oh, it's terribly well balanced, and Thor goes, yeah, you lose too much in the swing if it's too heavy or whatever. (laughs) I love that he calls it point break. (laughs) Which I believe is a Patrick Swayze reference, right? Uh, Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves about cops, uh, robbers who are surfers. Which was directed by... Um, the director of The Hurt Locker, um, Catherine, I'm blanking on her name, um, who uh, directed Anthony Mackie and uh, Jeremy Ritter in The Hurt Locker, and those two are now teammates on The Avengers. It's pretty hilarious how that worked. They're actually doing a point prank uh, remake. Look at this. <laughs> oh, there we go. I'm going to turn up my volume a little bit. Let me know if it starts to get too long. Yeah, there's the virus. <laughs> Last night. <laughs> Last night. <laughs> The notes? 
Beirut? Am I the only one who did the homework? <laughs> reading? <laughs> right, so they already know the power source. And they already know that he knows that the cage is for the Hulk. So why aren't these, these guys putting it together? I, I think Loki is, is spinning magic more than just his words. I don't know how you feel about that. I, I don't know. I mean, they are not magic. Half of them are grappling with the fact that aliens exist. So the the idea that they don't exactly figure out. Wait, here comes, here comes. I'm a huge fan of the way you lose control and turn into enormous green rage monster. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, that's the beginning of the bromance right there. And he gets Bruce Banner to make the wrong decisions in Ultron, especially multiple times because of their relationship to one another. Yeah, because Banner feels beholden to him a little bit for being the only one who believed in the Hulk. Uh, in the in when in their first interactions, everybody else is afraid of the Hulk. Even Cap <laughs> is afraid of the Hulk. This is wonderful, though. I, I mean, this okay. So that is Chris Evans taking a huge step comedically. Yeah, I, I think that's his first great comedic delivery, and that carries it <laughs> over. There's it. Whedon said I was really hoping they'd let me get away with that. Um, uh. You know, and we start seeing jokes in Winter Soldier almost immediately. I think in the opening scene where he jumps out of a plane, they're like, "Did you do anything last night?" I said, "Well, all the guys from my barbershop quartet are yeah. dead, so no." <laughs> yeah, first get to the engine room, then find me a date. <laughs> I'm multitasking, so Scarlet. Right. <laughs> Lillian with the lip piercing? Yeah, I'm not ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but what you were saying before, I think this is Banner's first honest friend since he became the Hulk. I think so. I and I, I think that's why... And they do agree on some things. It, that's He does agree with Ultron. <laughs> I love that. Jury's <laughs> out. <laughs> that's a great line, too. Um, he, you know, Banner doesn't just agree to Ultron uh, b- purely out of pressure. He agrees to it because he wants to not have to do this anymore. And Tony doesn't want to do this anymore, as opposed to Steve, who's accepted that he's going to try and save the world for the rest of his life. Right. You know, Banner and, and Stark are trying to find an endgame. Oh, you're tiptoeing, big man? Yeah, he's already setting up the Hulk. It's brilliant. I love it, you know? And even when the Hulk's seemingly out of the picture at the end and he tells Loki he's threatening him, he always has a sense that Banner's coming back and that's why it was important to build the friendship. Mm. Right, he's he's the spy. His secrets have secrets. Uh, you know, th- both of these brilliant dudes immediately know that Fury's up to something. <laughs> I yeah. love this. I just want to finish my work. <laughs> it is... Uh, oh, oh, wait, I'm sorry. Okay, so Robert Downey Jr., you probably heard this in the commentary, is always hiding food on set, yeah. and, and they hate it, but it's Robert Downey Jr., <laughs> and so they turn this into a gag where the, where he rewards Bruce's insight with a, a blueberry, yep. I believe. <laughs> Just the way he turns his back to the camera. You never see that in movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like with this scene, you're definitely setting up the uh, the conflict. This is, you know, Stark and Cap, jabbing at each other up until now is cute, but you never sense that there's actually an antagonistic relationship. This is where they actually start to come at opposite ends. And what we're going to see in all of the movies where they appear from now on is they are at ends with each other. It doesn't matter who's on the right side or the wrong side or which side they're on, who supports 
uh, government oversight who supports you know just doing their own thing. They are always at ends with each other. Uh, I will say though, his anger in Ultron is a lot more under control towards Stark. And when when he challenges Stark to the fight right before the helicarrier gets blown up a few minutes from now, right. he says, you know, put on the suit. That's a very uncapped move. Like Cap is tough and masculine, but he's not hyper masculine. He's not a bully. He's he is also bullies. being manipulated by the sphere. Well, that's what I'm saying. Between Loki and the Sphere, that is the most irrational we ever right. see Cap um, going forward. And, and Until Civil War. I think he's going to lose it at some point in Civil War. Um, but it Josh won't be Whedon irrational said, in terms of fighting just to fight, I think. I, we'll uh, say. It's the hero's chin. Joss Whedon in his commentary makes a big moment to point <laughs> out Chris Evans' chin in that one scene. He's like, I had to do a shot like that. Look at that chin. <laughs> Yeah, there's some inconsistencies. Like, five minutes ago, Banner says, we shouldn't be worrying about Loki. Now Banner says, Loki's got the jump on us. Um, but it's all, it's all about char- building character interactions. I, I really could care less. Okay, so this is the beginning of the holographic screens. They, they multiply this, like, times ten in Ultron, which I love. I just appreciate how difficult it is, not just for the CGI people, but for the actors and for the set designers. I mean, I don't think Stark is looking at anything there, but it looks completely seamless in a way that, you know, Star Trek never even tried to do. Mm-hmm. Um, now they have the technology. And, and the way they, you know, look, he's looking at him through the screen right and then he gets serious and he pushes the screen aside so they're really looking at each other right there boom i love that small things like that i appreciate about filmmaking go ahead matt and this again this keeps going back to the same idea the same idea that stark believes in not just banner and his intelligence he believes in the hulk as something that can be a a great force for good Yep. If Banner will just accept that this is part of him in the same way that Stark accepts the magnet reactor is part of him. Now, he, he ultimately he might, doesn't accept that because yeah. he takes it out in Iron Man 3 and finally gets the shrapnel removed. Yeah, uh, and, and, and Banner says about turning into the Hulk, you might not enjoy that in the in, uh, Stark says, you just might, which is a really interesting comment that not only do they need the Hulk to win these wars, but it's almost like, he, like for therapeutic reasons, he needs to be the Hulk occasionally, right? It's sort of what he talks about strutting, you're tiptoeing, yep. you know, you need to strut. I, I don't know. It's like he's, he sees well beyond even what Bruce Banner can see about himself, which is great with Tony. And, and yeah. People have said that the different um, – this goes back to Joss Whedon's idea that being the Hulk is like being a werewolf. All of those old monster right. com, com, monsters are metaphors for various sorts. I, I Vampire, believe – sorry. I believe this is iridium, by the way. Yeah, iridium, which I have yeah. no idea if it emits antiprotons. I think antiprotons are a real thing, but I don't know if they – they're like – Oh, antiprotons are definitely a real, th- a real yeah, thing. But they, yeah, but they're antimatter, so there's right. we assume they kind of have to exist because otherwise the universe wouldn't be able to work without counter uh, something to countercharge it. The but, important part is just that it stabilizes the ridiculous amount of power in the cube, so sure. that it can be harnessed on a big but controlled level. Oh, oh, here it is. It's Go ahead. science this is- fiction. It's the MacGuffin that solves the thing. I mean, this is you're up, Matt. You're up here. This is the Thor speech. Okay, so one of the things that I have said about Thor is that I feel like he is much more of a caricature and two-dimensional and harder to relate to than all the other Avengers because he's not human. He is a godlike alien being. He doesn't talk like anybody has talked on Earth since Shakespeare was writing plays. And even then, only a few people really talked that way. Um, 
you know, and he, he very much thinks, he doesn't think himself above the, as, of the humans. He, he chews out Loki for thinking that, but he certainly thinks himself apart from them. Here comes the line that we yeah. love. This is the scene, though, that I think, I don't know if it changes how Thor acts, but this is the scene that shows that he is at least capable of understanding uh, and changing at least internally a little bit. That idea of in my youth I courted war and now the unsaid lines is, but now I, I've lost the taste for it a little bit. In part because he's recognizing that he started this. He deposed Loki and threw him into a black hole in Thor and that has led to all of this stuff. All of this destruction is on some level his fault and it's changing him Maybe not in the ways that he acts, but certainly in the ways that he approaches combat, which up until this moment has really been the defining aspect of his life. He's the god of war. Okay, this is where I start thinking Loki's, uh, even for Sammy J, Fury's being extra angry here Mm -hmm. when he says, why do I feel he's the only one that wants to be on this boat? That's a big jump from the minor tensions they've been having so far. Loki smiling. Even though Uh, uh, Fury is right. No, Fury is right, but I'm, you know, I, I really think that they're getting worked by Loki. And maybe it's just the idea of Loki and not like any sort of direct spell. Romanoff is completely immune to it, as I've pointed out. In, in the argument scene, she's totally calm. It's only when the Hulk comes after her that she loses it. Mm-hmm. But R- Romanoff doesn't seem to be affected by Loki. Um, but, you know, you know, Thor talks about, in my youth, I courted war. Remember I said in our last podcast that even though Cap is a much better character and his movies have been better, Thor in some ways is more impressive because it's such a bizarre character and such a bizarre property. Mm-hmm. And I think that from Thor 1 through this, through Thor 2, into Ultron, he does grow. It's just way more subtle because he's a caricature and he's not as multidimensional. But, you know, in Ultron, he's when he feels the most comfortable around his friends, around the Avengers, that he can lounge around and play games and joke about the hammer, not be so arrogant. He jokes about being arrogant, but is really much more humble. And Stark does grow, too. I think Cap's growth is just a lot more... Um, you obvious. Know, ra- radical and obvious, yeah. I think so, too. But I do also think that Iron Man... By the way, really quickly, do you agree that this is one of the best scenes in the movie? This is a fantastically shot okay, scene. Good. This scene recalls yeah. Silence of the Lambs of yep. uh, Starling and Hannibal Jody Lecter. Foster. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's a cage that's translucent plastic instead of uh, you know just bars. But very much the, the spider under glass, you know, the thing that is the most dangerous because it's locked up. Uh, it increases Loki's menace, even though he's physically not capable of hurting them, um, because he knows he can still hurt them, and that makes your mind wonder. Um, by the way, I love how Whedon just dismisses her lack of a Russian accent by s- her saying, oh, I used to be Russian. Yeah. <laughs> you know, who cares? Like, do we really want Scarlett Johansson spending four months learning how to sound Russian? Nah, who fucking cares? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, what I was going to say with uh, Iron Man and Thor is the two of them have alternate alternating roles in the two Avengers movies. In this movie... Wait, I'm sorry, man. I have to interrupt you. Mm-hmm. The writing here is spectacular. It's fantastic. This is the basis sentimental. Do you know what a mule and quim is, by the way? Yeah, quim is a Shakespearean word for vaginal discharge. It's a really yeah. nasty word for women. Um, and muling, I believe, is like scr- like a cat or screaming yeah, or something. Muling like is that. a lamb will mule or bleat. It's a, like a screaming animal. Um, right. So it's a screaming vagina, is basically what he's saying. Yeah. I, I, or, oh, here it is. Or the C word. But 
you know, this is well shot, and the voiceover is extremely well. Okay, so one thing that Marvel scenes. does so much better than anyone else is these extended speeches that are montages, mm-hmm. but they don't feel like uh, cheesy montages because of the excellent speeches. Usually it's Cap giving the speech while the montage is happening. There's my bargain, you mule and quim. Well, what at the at least that speech does so well is it shows the ways that he's right. You know that you, you think your secrets of your past are hidden, and he finds the oh, the hydro weapon. You brought the monster. By the yeah. way, when I first saw this, I totally bought her faints. I, I I really thought she was traumatized after that because of Hiddleston's performance and her performance. I still so, think she yeah. was affected a little bit. You think because you've said right before here. that you think that she's bothered because of. Her experience Hulk. with the Hulk after. I still think this got no. to her a little. No. Not She's, at all. Look how happy she. No, look how happy she is. She figured She's it out. She's got a job to do. Um, she failed. That's the thing. Romanov fails not to get the intel, but to implement the intel. But it's not her fault because all these guys are in charge, and they caused the Hulk to turn into the Hulk. And she's and human, she and there's the, only so much yeah. she can do against Asgardians or or Thanos's science magic. You know, the staff is yeah really powerful, and when she. <laughs> Yeah. This is yeah, you mentioned this. <laughs> that anger, that disgust, he sells that so well and that's the moment where Cap finally starts to show that he can grow beyond what he was in the first movie. <laughs> what are you like? <laughs> yeah, the world hasn't changed a bit. That's it. And right. now we come to a scene that Joss yeah. Whedon has said was almost impossible to shoot. That they had cameras just going everywhere and sweeping, and the actors were confused as hell as to why. You know uh, what, man? I'm gonna this. I'm gonna change my mind and agree with you. R- Romanoff is being affected by Loki only in the sense of how she's dealing with Banner now. She's very threatening to Banner about removing himself from the environment. Yeah, the sensitivity uh, and the warmth that she yep. showed in their first encounter is gone here. No, they're yep. all being affected. Even, I mean, Thor, it's obvious he's being affected when he goes, you humans are so petty and tiny. Petty and tiny. <laughs> but all of them are getting more and more angry, even as what they're saying isn't exactly wrong. You know, Thor is about to say, uh, your experiments with the cube are what brought them here. It's, here we go. It's a signal to all the realms that the Earth is ready for a higher form of warfare. Yeah. Um, oh, here comes the camera. But yeah, th- yeah. this shooting and again, this is one of those I was talking about where everyone's right and wrong at the same time. Mm-hmm. Fury's not wrong to think that there are aliens out there and they need a defense against them. It's uh I, right, and Thor just condescending all of a sudden to humans is even a little out of character for him. Romanoff looks pretty calm to me now. Banner, I like how they play it. You don't think there's any way he's going to turn into the Hulk. Mm-hmm. He seems pretty calm. Okay, this is really hard to do this camera angle because it's not CGI. They definitely flipped it upside down like that. I, I oh, would no, love to yeah. see the behind the scenes. Um, I, I mean, flipped it upside down without a cut. Right. Okay, so okay, so Jeremy Renner with one arrow is going to take out an entire rotor. Yeah, okay, it's fine. And then, and but then, which I'm cool with. But then they infiltrate the bridge, and he infiltrates the computer on the bridge, and they shut down one more rotor. Who knows? <laughs> who cares? It, I know. I just love to see. Here's a- what I say though, Matt, is that in movies I love, I find some minor errors to actually be endearing and makes me love it more. Sure. You know, sometimes movies are too perfect. Like, I love The Winter Soldier, but it's so flawless, it's almost oppressive occasionally. Mm-hmm. I Like, look at this exchange here. That was a little rough, that interaction. These two don't have their chemistry completely set up yet. It's like 95% there. 
And and right now it's starting to lock in. But when this he, when is he great, first, and I love the look that yeah. Scarlett Johansson, Scarlett, right? Well, but when Stark puts woman. his hand on Cap's shoulder, it is yeah. clearly to antagonize him. Yep. You know, I this was a point I wanted to make earlier. Iron Man's major role in this movie is to kind of show up, take up space, draw attention to himself, and solve problems at the end. Oh, he maybe ooh. grows a little bit, learns some minor lesson about selflessness, I guess. But really, he just so, sort of shows up. And Thor has to actually come to grapple with the idea oh. that his actions have consequences. Yeah. In Ultron, it's the opposite. Thor has no personal stake in anything that happens in Ultron at all. He yeah. just shows up and helps but them for fight. Tony, Tony for has Tony, to deal with the idea that his consequences yeah. have actions. The two so, change roles. So for Tony to say everything special about you came out of a bottle, mm-hmm. you could easily retort to Tony, everything special about you came from the fortune you inherited. Right. You know? And, and, the, and Captain here, America says okay, here that. It is. Here it is. Cap never says stuff like this and never will again until maybe this new movie. But I think he will. <laughs> look at the way they, they move the camera on Thor there. And Thor even looks a little bit drunk. I, like his eyes are squinting and he's like twitching. This is a brilliantly acted scene. It's well done. And then oh, this is just is. sad. This is so harsh. Um, my jaw dro- Again, seeing this on Blu-ray the first time, my jaw dropped when I heard this. And this is why... You can have adult themes without having to kill a lot of people. Really, mm-hmm. to me, this is this here is so dark. But if you're if you're a really little kid, you don't get exactly what he's saying. So it's not like blowing away tons of people with blood flying over. This and is that's way such more a good effective. Look. That look is so yeah. menacing. That look is more menacing than when he yelled, "Stop lying to me!" Earlier, yeah. there with those eyes. Do you think it's a joke that Fury is constantly using a pistol against forces that it can't possibly stop? Yeah, he uses a a machine gun and a rocket launcher, too. Yeah, but after the rocket launcher, he pulls his pistol out. Oh, here we go. Oh, he references the party trick here. Yeah, we get to see the party trick in the second one with with the hammer. Oh, man. You have to admit, the Hammer Lounge party scene in Ultron's great, just in terms of character stuff, Mm -hmm. how how comfortable they are with each other. They're still building it here. They're pretty comfortable here. You know, but like I don't 100% buy Romanoff Hawkeye um, friendship because we see so little of it in the second movie. It's so obvious, right? Um, uh oh, boom! Everyone, yeah, this looks great. So obviously they spent you know most of their money on the helicarrier stuff and then the Battle of New York, right? Uh, I love how he says, "Put on the suit, put on the suit." Yeah, picks him up. Yeah, you know it wears off. They figure it out. Um. You know, that they are willing to work together when the time comes. It doesn't mean they have to like each other. Not everybody on a football team is best friends with each other. Um, but it doesn't mean they won't play together when they have to. Um, yeah, Kobe Smulders looks amazing. I was listening. So, you know, I've been listening to some nerd podcasts for quite a while. Right. Um, that actually inspired me to do this podcast. Okay, here's Colson being a badass temporarily. And I was listening. They did a, a, a review of Thor back in 2011. And they started the podcast and like, we're going to talk about Thor, which we like the movie, but breaking news, Colby Smulders just announced she's been fitted for her bodysuit mm-hmm. <laughs> for the Avengers. Like all the nerds couldn't wait for Colby Smulders with the bodysuit. And she, like Renner, who you pointed out, Colby Smulders, not a great actress, great physical actress. Yeah. And I, I think Colby Smulders is a decent actress. I, I don't think they gave her character a ton to work with, in part because she, yeah. she is a little bit, I think, supposed to be a foil for how she reacts to Fury as a statement about what kind of leadership Fury right. displays some, early some on felt versus that she later. Was, right. Some people felt that she was actually annoying at times because she's constantly contradicting Fury. But I think I think we need, did that by design, that. though. 
Yep. And uh, I think she's best in the Winter Soldier. You know that scene at the end where she's she's in the control room while they're trying to take out the helicarriers? And she's, it, you know, she's sitting at the computer and she can see in the security cameras that a couple Hydra guys are coming. Mm-hmm. And she just pushes back from the computer, pulls out her gun, kills them all, and then just gets right back to it yep. without saying anything. Oh, here we go. So we see Hulk turn twice. Yep. Um, and in Ultron, we see him turn back. We don't see him turn in Ultron. We just see him turn back at the beginning. Right. It was important in the first movie with the new Hulk to have him turn that twice. Look, I, just, I don't yeah. know if that's all CGI or if that's his eyes and or if there's prosthetics just on his face. There is so much uh, sadness and fear oh in God. just those eyes. So I'm going to assume that is actually Ruffalo's eyes. And, it's and again, really if well you done. put this in continuity with their romance, it completely works. Even if it was unplanned, this whole scene changes her. Very much so, and, and, I think and, he and the thing is, on, uh, you know, maybe well, not. Can I, can I put one one theory forward here? Sure. Which is, it, it, she's not just scared that she almost gets killed by the Hulk. That's obviously part of it, but I think she's also just upset and scared that she couldn't prevent him from turning into the Hulk. Like she felt like she had a handle on it, yeah, that she and that's failed. why she had to be the one to learn how to do the lullaby and so forth in, in Ultron. Oh, here we go. Which yeah, <laughs> interesting. Uh, <laughs> Uh, thing that Whedon said. So in this scene where the helicarrier starts to fall, people on set were asking, or CGI people were asking, do you want to have planes falling off the top and stuff? And he said, I kind of felt like if we had too much stuff falling off the top of this, people, excuse me, on the ground would be dying. And they're over, they're over the ocean at this point, right? But if stuff keeps falling onto the earth, people this start dying, great. and then they're not heroes anymore. Um, so that's so in, my go ahead. So my um, sorry, my general comment just about the look of the movie. Mm-hmm. Although the practical does work well here. Okay, this is a classic case. Their CGI cap looks yeah. good. Um, this is a classic case of having to have Cap do something, even though the others are so powerful. Which is exactly why they needed to like triple his strength in Ultron. Right. Um, <laughs> this is great. Yeah, and this is uh, Tony Stark's first attempt to not be condescending. Right. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, so they had to have Cap do something. Cap actually uses a gun in this scene. He does. F- for the last and time, I believe. And he throws people over the edge, who, and they plummet thousands of feet to their death. I mean, it's a war, I, and I accept that those people pro- had to die. You know, so. Cap, Cap, Cap kills people in every movie he's yeah. in other than Ultron. For one, he's a soldier. Two, he's not so much stronger than anybody else that he can no. just survive if you shoot him, he is going to get And he hurt. saves way more people with yeah. his strength than he kills. Okay, oh. so I don't know if you knew this, Matt, but this movie was shot in 16 by 9 and it's one of the only modern blockbusters to be shot at the HD rather than the wider, um, you know, 238 by 1 uh, movie widescreen. Mm-hmm. That's why this looks like you're watching it on TV. Do you, can you guess why they did that? Uh, I have no idea. It's because the Hulk was supposed to be nine feet and Romanoff is about five foot one. Mm. And so they had that shot in mind that, that we just saw of him running after her. Right. And, the, and like right here, the only way in this movie to get these shots of the Hulk as big as he is was to make it less wide and more tall. Mm-hmm. Now, in the second movie in Ultron, they figured out how to do it. And going forward, they, they'll, they'll use the regular 238 by one super widescreen theatrical. I actually like it, though, in this movie that, that it is in the HD. Um, do, do you know what I'm talking about? Not like really. I don't know a lot about Okay, what, what kind of computer are you using? What kind I of computer? It's a hell if I know. I, I, what kind? You have a Mac? Yeah, a Mac. Like a widescreen Mac? Like one built in the last like 10 years? Yes. 
So I think you I got my Note Eight. Okay, you see how it fills up your whole screen watching this? Yeah, I mean, I don't have yeah, this. Yeah, even below. So instead well, of, I'm not watching this in full screen. I'm okay. just watching this. The point is, um, if you watch the full screen on this or your television, it would take up the whole TV and not from an edit because that's how it was filmed. Gotcha. And I think it, okay. it's a really nice change of pace. I, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it, it does make it feel a little bit like a TV show at times in all the best ways. Boom! Oh yeah, yeah motherfucker! Oh. Considering Thor, Chris Hemsworth isn't actually fighting anything. Ugh. This scene works extremely well. Hemsworth this is a, in the camp and the oh shit and the that's the, such a great shot. I mean, <laughs> and he, all of this stuff I believe is happening. And he does that so, same move with a Quicksilver and Ultra Idler. Right. Quicksilver, uh, he can't even pick up the hammer. Boom! So okay, so this is looks a little cave troll to me right here the, it does. this looks a little bit like the the can you believe how ahead of their time by the way peter jackson was and lord yeah. of the rings with the cgi i mean that looks better than the cave troll but not by you know 10 years or whatever boom mm-hmm. uh-oh kobe smolders can't kill her so this is the Asgillioth move from return of the king you let all the guys go by and then you start attacking yep. them <laughs> um yeah they did oh there's a headshot that's such a badass shot the first and only avengers headshot you will ever see yeah. Akira's Coulson. Oh, man. I mean, the Tahiti project to resurrect him is one of the worst retcons ever, but it's so horrifying how they do it in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that I actually yeah. liked it when it happened because seeing them reconstruct his brain was for television, I was like, whoa. <sighs> I just no, we'll talk about that later. It, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Okay. I just the Kree need to finally fucking show up because they've been hinting at since the first season of Agents of Shield and they still haven't shown up. Well, they know so that just, they're out there, and Daisy knows all about the Kree. It, it'll happen. I'm sure. Okay. So look how close this guy gets. What an idiot! Does he pop his visor because he's under? He's out of the sun, so he has to be able to see better. Oh, who knows? I, I, I think just, it's so I that love, you can see I love how avionics. scary he is when. Uh, this is an interesting idea. A kind of a last second. Uh, like last ditch effort in case this happened. Um, yeah. I think they he pops his visor just so you can see him get frightened. Yep. Right, but they think about you the know, little target things. angry, target, target angry. angry. Okay, so here's Joss Whedon challenging himself to not kill a single, you know, good guy. Right. You know, like kill this guy. Who cares? It's way funnier though. You know, he makes it into a joke. What? He's dead. Uh, nope. Boop. Actually, nope. <laughs> it all worked out. <laughs> this is okay. This is a great shot. Yeah. Okay, so the shot coming up where, where Loki ejects Thor is mm-hmm. exactly the Sulu and uh, Kirk free fall shot from the first Star Trek reboot, the way it's oh, yeah. filmed. You'll, you'll see when we watch it. The, it's exactly the same. Okay, here we go. Here's Cap. By the way, I don't think Cap actually That's tries cool to kill move. the guy with his gun. He's just trying to spray around to get the guy out of the way. So even, Probably. even when he has the gun, he's not trying to murder him, I think. Okay, but he does throw that yeah. guy out of he the plane. He has to. That general, no, I'm not saying uh, kill a guy one way or the other is better or worse or that it's unjustified. Yeah. It's totally justified. It's just fun watching people get killed in the Avengers movies because you're right. such a less problem with it than in the Batman and Superman movies. And again, he is a soldier. A soldier. And the ease with which he wields a machine gun is interesting because, of course, that's something he would actually probably be trained to know how to do. Speaking of which, one of my favorite um, looks slash lines coming up is where – Tony says, we are not soldiers. And he right. looks at Steve and you could see the look on his face change and be like, okay, mm-hmm. actually this guy is a soldier. <laughs> Maybe I should have yeah. said that. <laughs> oh, here's the, right. Here's the shutting down the second one. Just sit well. Oh, man. <laughs> that is a terrible, terrible idea. Oh man, that looks great. The helicarrier. Did you know about the helicarrier and shield and stuff growing up? 
Oh, um, I didn't know a ton, but I knew there was a helicarrier. Yeah. Um, the cool thing I don't know from what I well, the cool, made the Spider-Man cartoon from the nineties. The cool thing um, about Shield was that it, they did show up in X Men, you know. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to read a ton of the Avengers unless there was a direct crossover to know about the Triskelion and the Helicarrier and, and Nick Fury right. and so forth. An interesting thing with Shield. Um, this is awesome. The, By the way, this looks Nick's, like the Flash coming up here big time. I was watching this where he's spinning around super fast. A little bit, yeah. definitely. Um, Sorry, go ahead. Uh, Interesting thing with Shield is, excellent. I believe it was Steve Ditko who drew the Nick Fury Agents of Shield comics in the '60s, and he really, if you look at the art, it's extremely experimental. Oh, yeah. It's very much a product too. of the mod oh, kind no. of fashion style. They're, you know, the oh, pages yeah. move diff- weirdly with the frames. <laughs> it's actually really brilliant art in a really creative, artistic way. You don't see a lot in comic books. Okay, hold so, on. I love this scene. That's fine. We can talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. Steve Ditko also did Doctor Strange, and they're using a ton of Ditko Strange stuff in the, in the movie. Okay, mm-hmm. what I love about this fight, other than being awesome, she beats him fair and square. She yeah. beats him. She, she doesn't have to use some wiles or a gun because she's the weaker woman. Nope, she outsmarts him and outfights him. Yeah. Um, and because uh, Renner isn't great. I mean, Hawkeye isn't great at anything except shooting a bow and arrow, which is useless at close combat. Eh, I think the fact that he can hold his own with Black Widow shows he that can he hold can his own, but he is not as good as she is at hand to hand at knife fighting. Well, if you watch, just, if you watch the final hero circle at the end of Ultron with the nine of them, he actually does a lot of hand fighting against the robots. He gives up on the bow and arrow. Uh, uh, I don't actually remember that. Okay, fight, so all right, here we go. Up, <laughs> hold up, here it comes. Move away, please. <laughs> Always polite, as called said. Yep. Even to the bad guys, move away, please. That's one of my favorite ten lines of the movie. No, no doubt. Yeah, this, and this leads directly to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean, the thing is, man, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is shot exactly like Cap 1. I didn't realize that. Boom. Even though it was the Whedons and it led from the Avengers, mm-hmm. the, the, the retro... 40s, 50s, 60s spy stuff and S.H.I.E.L.D. actually looks like like the Cap 1 shooting aesthetic. Well, that's one thing I think these movies do so well is even despite all the tonal differences, right. all the different genres they draw on, the lighting in all of these movies is weirdly the same and the pacing, like yeah. the speed that everybody moves at yeah. is identical. And what it does is it does create this sense of shared universe. If you ever watch shows on USA Network... Okay, here it is. Hold on. Look at this. This is shot exactly like Kirk and Sulu. Yeah, Look at absolutely. It. Actually, now that I'm watching it for the uh, – uh, totally. I think there's been some back and forth with Weed and Abrams in terms – not personal, just professional. I think some surrender. sure they've run into each – I mean they've probably met at Comic-Con or something like that. They both go to it all the time. And, and, you know, and they- I can't imagine that J.J. Abrams being a science fiction nerd didn't know about Serenity and Firefly. I'm sure Weed and saw the Star Trek reboots. Those two – it would be yeah. cool to see a collaboration. They live in the same world. I'm certain they've met each other at something. Um, and they both seem like totally normal, hilarious guys, you know? And they're not like super divas, which makes yeah. me think they could even be friends. Boom. Who knows? They're all uh, lefties, by the way. If you look, I, I want to do a whole podcast <laughs> about this. Natasha, uh, Scarlet's a lefty. Hawkeye, they tried to make him a righty in Thor. He's back to his natural left here. Thor's a righty, though. Thor is a righty. And I'm pretty sure the Hulk is too. Cap, it's not really clear because he uses both. Boom! <laughs> oh man, this is we. I think we. Talked. It's all CGI, but it's a great scene. I, I bought oh, it. Oh, this looks no that hundred percent. I mean, that's the thing. I, when I, the Star Trek comparison was not just how it l- looked CG in terms of shooting, but just how real it looked. 
Mm-hmm. Here it is. It's in your nature. Right? You're going to fail. It's in your nature. Heroes are scattered. Your floating fortress falls from the sky. Yeah. Here it is. Oh, you lack conviction. Look at his there. eyes. Boom. That's the look. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, again, the disbelief that his bravado isn't actually convincing anybody else, that they see through it to the, you know, the scared, unsure person behind it. And the fact that Coulson can recognize his lack of conviction is exactly why Coulson was the perfect person to try and rebuild S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. Not just because of his smarts and his personnel capabilities. He's great with his personnel. He's a very moral guy. You know, he worships Cap. He wants to be like Captain America. But it's because he knows how to deal with complicated bad guys. Oh, here it is. There's the Flash. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah, definitely. Woo. Barry Allen can go faster than that, I'm sure. Oh, Barry Allen can go fast enough to go backwards in time. Could, do you think Barry uh, Allen could push the rotors like this, though? Just no, no. It just be no. Too he's heavy. not super strong. I mean, if he punched, if he ran at full speed, well, he does and the punch the rotor once. He can move it, but he'd break his uh, hand doing he it. He does the flash supersonic punch thing, right? So he can. he does, but he can't. <laughs> I love this. Oh no. Uh oh. The red lever. I, they don't even try to make it subtle. It's like, pull the red lever. Uh, yeah, yep. uh, look at this. So I talk about how they use Iron Man's uh, jets and engines as almost like right. beats in a hip-hop beat. Um, <laughs> we'll see it coming later, big time, when he's headed to Stark Tower, when they've got electronic music going and they use, and they work in the, the sputtering um, right. uh, engines. This looks Everything looks great on the helicarrier, honestly. Yeah. I, I think this movie is a case of they should have just gone the full 250, and then but the few things about Oh, no, I think the length of this is perfect. No, 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 I no. Think $250 million budget. Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is what Dark Knight was. The guy <laughs> rabbited. I love it. I'm clocking out. He's so old-fashioned. Yep. I, okay, so I personally like that Fury lies about the cards being in his pocket. Some people thought that was, like, too much. I, I think, he sa- as he says, they needed the push. And they yeah. might have not needed that, but he couldn't take any chances, you know. Whedon said in his commentary, he specifically con- conceived of this idea that Fury is manipulative enough, but also good enough to that he'd be willing to smear blood on cards if he thought that's what would get the team to bond together. Absolutely. Um, He's a professional liar. I mean, that's the whole point of this movie and of The Winter Soldier. He's a spy and a bureaucrat. He knows there are lots of different ways to get the outcome that he wants and that he needs. But he's also you know? a soldier. Yeah. You know, and there, there's um, what he, all, all of his speeches to the Security Council are great. But mm-hmm. um, he's, you know, he has a line that's like, you know, there's only one thing y- you need in a war and that's soldiers or something like that. You know, like he's trying to explain why he needs the response team. Um, War's not won by sentiment. No, it's won, won by, by soldiers. soldiers. Exactly. There's Kobe Smulders. Yep. <laughs> the thing is, I just find Mar- Maria Hill um, or Kobe Smulders just seems like a cool personality, like so many of the Marvel characters. That I'm willing to overlook a little inconsistency, especially because it's all about the writing for her. The writing in the Winter Soldier for her is excellent. Well, I think in this, you know, when she says, yes, sir, when he says, get all my communications up, which is going to happen in about four minutes. Speaking of which, quick interruption. In five seconds, we're going to hit an hour and a half. Does this feel like an hour and a half? I feel like we've been doing this for 30 minutes. This is flying Yeah, no, this is really gone quickly. Sorry. Um, Can we talk about this scene really quickly? 
So they got everyone out of the picture other than the two guys. And these are the right. leaders. Cap's the real leader because it's moral and tactical leadership. But Tony's the brains. And the, and the focus is on Tony. You notice he's the one in focus, whereas Fury and Cap are out of focus. Cap is going to take over these this universe in the next few movies. In yeah, try try a week from yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, obviously, but really, I mean, Winter Soldier, Ultron. Oh, oh, oh you mean you mean after this in 2012? I'm sorry. Yes, yes after this. 2012. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we talked about this. Everything goes through. Cap. Iron Man is still the star of this movie. He was the biggest reason people wanted to see this movie. He got the biggest reviews. People were surprised by the dimensionality Cap brought, uh, Evans brought to Captain America. But Iron Man was the biggest, and Tony Stark and Robert Downey Jr. were far and away the biggest stars in the MCU at this point. Yep. And people were mostly seeing this for the chance to see how Iron Man would react with everybody else. But it was and Captain America who surprised everybody. Yes. But, but, but as you're pointing out, it was because of his relationship with Tony that that was able to come out. There, you know. And a lot of this movie has oh, scenes God. of just Iron Man interacting with other people and doing Iron Man. By the stuff. way, Chris Hemsworth killing it by doing nothing here for five seconds. Right. This sells. But that's the look that you know of. <laughs> I'm sorry, the old guy coming up. This is one of the best Marvel Harry moments Dean ever. Stanton, um, <laughs> who's in uh, fucking, uh, Big Lebowski, yeah. is a character actor, but a fantastic one. Well, son, you've got a condition. Yep. <laughs> Fuck ass, new. <nude>. <laughs> So you turn back into a regular fella. <laughs> it, it's, um, I think Josh little things said, good though, man. When it comes to it, hoping he could maybe somehow mm-hmm. magically get Harry Dean Stanton, and then they actually got him, and he was pretty giddy about that. You know, Marvel when it comes to civilian stuff. I mean, you know, so we have Banner here. The first thing he thinks of is, "Did I hurt anybody?" Right? You never see right. that with the Zack Snyder movies. And, no. and then remember when, when about to come up when Renner comes out of his reverie. Right. What is the first thing he says? How many, How agents, many agents did I kill? Yeah. You know? An alien. No. Well, then, son, you've got a condition. <laughs> yeah. But look at Ruffalo's face. Look at Ruffalo's face right here. Yep. I well, he's conf- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. And now we get to what I think is one of the biggest. It's not a problem, but like it Renner. doesn't quite make as much sense. No, it's not Renner. Okay. We're going to find out in the next avengers movie in ultron that this staff is an infinity stone which is one of the six most powerful objects in the universe Uh, i see where you're going with this go ahead yeah matt and i did some discussion beforehand yeah keep going this is a nitpicky thing it doesn't hurt the film but if this is really one of the six most powerful objects in existence do you really mean to tell me that a you can get rid of it by punching somebody in the face really hard I mean, that alone says to me that it is some kind of derivative object. B, the Mind Stone is yellow or green. I can't remember which in Avengers. And yet this staff is clearly blue. They say it is powered by the cube and it's able to shut the Tesseract down. The Tesseract was always meant to be an Infinity Stone. I don't believe the Scepter was. That's what I think, too. I think that was retconned later. Now, maybe they're going to say... Although, wait, alternate theory. Alternate Uh theory. They're throwing us by making the staff blue and the Tesseract blue, so you're gone. Okay, they can't both be Infinity Stones. Right, but then they're, I, I guess. It's yellow, I believe. Yellow's the one that comes out of. Uh, yeah, I think that's right, too. Division's head. Now, maybe they're going to do something like, well, it was hidden inside the staff and even Thanos wasn't aware of it. No, Thanos. In my opinion, if I was trying to collect six objects, I wouldn't give one of them to a guy 
who was very confident he would win, but the outcome was not 100% assured by any stretch of the imagination. Okay, I thought about this. Can I give you some, some theories? Mm-hmm. So Thanos needs the Tesseract because it's an Infinity Stone. Also, I just want to interrupt you real quick. This line from Loki put, from Hawkeye yeah. is awesome. Put, put an arrow. better, I suppose. Yeah. And the way he kind of just looks up, he's like, yeah, I guess that'd make me Dude, feel better. you give Renner good material. He can be excellent. I, I, I really thought he was fantastic in the second movie um, with the family stuff. I know a lot of hardcore fa- comic book people didn't love the family stuff. Part of the reason it worked for me was because I love Linda Cardellini, who plays his wife. Um, but also just the goofiness of all of those superheroes in like a normal family setting. And Joss Whedon's all about family. And what's anyone fighting for in this movie other than Tony for Pepper Potts, right? We don't know right. what Romanoff's fighting for. We don't know what Renner's fighting for. We don't know what the Hulk's fighting for. We sort of know what Thor's fighting for. You know, we don't. Cap just fights because that's what Cap does. You, know, you yeah. needed to set up. And you even said that Ultron sets up a lot of character stuff. And, and so maybe that slowed down the movie at times, you know, with all the dream sequences, with the Scarlet Witch and the family story. I can get it. But with Ultron being directly in the middle of the three phases, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think Whedon was being asked to set up a lot here, but not nearly as much as in Ultron. Or maybe, I, he, I just does so it, maybe he just does it more successfully here. And that's why. Yeah, I, I think Renner's good. Amazing, I, I didn't love that scene only because... Idiot. I didn't think it was transitioned into well from the previous no, scene. Fine. And so I honestly didn't understand where this farm was. It seemed like it was in America. Obviously, his family is American. Upstate but the York. last place we were at was Wakanda. Here it is. So I was like, are they hiding his family in the middle soldiers. of Central Africa? There it is. We are not soldiers. Look at the look on Tony Stark's face. Yeah. It's, the look is a few different Here it comes. things. Neither am I. He's got the same blood on his hand that Loki does. Right now, we've got to put that behind us and get this done. I've been talking about this right. a lot. He talks about getting this done in every single movie he's in. It's always, let's get this done. We need to get this done. That is the point. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my theory is the reason Tony Stark figures out Loki's plan, ultimately, is not just because he's the smartest. It's because his ego is the closest to Loki's ego of any yeah. of them. Like, this is what he would do in Loki's shoes. That's what's brilliant about this exposition, you know? And it's what makes the confrontation between them, where they're both just trying to out-ego each other, so fun, so entertaining, so believable. Um, and, and one of the things that makes the transition so brilliant between this son of a bitch (laughs) between this and the end um, is that they've just lost half their friends at least or so they think the hello carrier is down Loki's gotten away they're going to open the portal and Tony Stark the second he confronts Loki is immediately confident again 100% Tony Stark confidence Mm -hmm. you know and uh, we could talk about whether it's put on a little bit to try and scare Loki uh, I think it is. It, well, some of it's designed to buy time. Well, I think it's just that's the way that Tony Stark deals with stress. Oh, I love the Scarlet Hand electric. That's such a cool, simple idea. Like that she can mm-hmm. electrocute because she's small, so she can jump on people. Oh my God, Thor in the field with the lightning. Yeah, Ugh. Thor's lightning summoning is an awesome <laughs> effect. I think it's my favorite scene uh, yeah. in the Thor movie is when he finally wields the hammer and it's all this Technicolor tornado lightning this and then he destroys great. the. Dis- the destroyer. Son, just um, yeah. <laughs> you have to buy that Captain America's ninety years old. I'm ninety years old. I'm not dead. Yep. Is that your first kiss since nineteen forty five? Right. Here's Kobe Smulders again, giving Nick Fury a hard time. You gotta love it. That's the thing though. 
she gives him a hard time, but, but watch sells, what's about to happen. Yeah, he's sad so, about it. She still is willing, is going to fight him, yeah. and then this happens. Uh-oh. They leave, and she's um, look at the look on her face. She's surprised that they've actually figured it out, and they're going to fight as a team. Yep. And then she just goes, "Yes, sir." She gets it. She finally gets right here. Right here. Listen, style. We kind of missed it there with the electric beat, the way they mix in his his sputtering engines is brilliant. This looks awesome. Selvig, Selvig acting, as I say, drunk slash mind controlled. I, I don't believe you're the god of thunder. <laughs> After he's drinking with Thor. <laughs> you know, that, that weird half smile on his face. Um, he does a good job pulling off something where really the only special effect... I eyes. think those eyes are are actually CGI are. rendered a little bit. I don't think they're contacts or they're partial contacts. No, they're CGI. They did the same thing in uh, in Lord of the Rings. Meanwhile, this suit is entirely CGI, but you buy the wear and tear. It looks I mean, better it, with the wear and tear. I always yeah. yeah. We talk about that with spaceships, like in the Star Wars, like mm-hmm. scuffing up. You know that was the problem with the Guardians. It wasn't just that it was too colorful. It's just that they were too shiny. It wasn't scuffed up. You know. And as you, there's a little moment there also when he lands and he actually just yeah. kind of it's like he loses power right at the end and he falls the last yeah. six inches or whatever. That's a nice little bit. Yeah, I like that they're staring each other down. This dynamic is terrific. This is one of the great scenes, not just in comic book history, but in all of film history. The way this is shot, it's really interestingly shot where they're positioned, where the camera is looking up at Stark, but it's looking at Loki at face level. The lighting, you, the way you see that the angle is different. The way the way the tower was that the Empire State Building behind him. No, Drake, you sure? I'm having one. I think that's the Chrysler Building. Isn't that's the Chrysler it? Building. The chart coming. Nothing will change that. <laughs> Here it is. Even <laughs> just what? Yeah, sort sort of like a team. <laughs> yes, they got in Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, watch when he says Thor, right now. Yeah, he doesn't Urgh. like that. He's, that's the one he and fears. he turns away just long enough for him to put the bracelets on. It's brilliant, yep. brilliant writing. I can't believe Whedon wrote this entire thing by himself, and you, big fella. <laughs> Tony doesn't even mention himself. This is an interesting thing with the Avengers. The original name... <laughs> Not a great plan. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry. I, and they will, and his eyes get really big and angry. I, Robert Downey Jr. is a fantastic actor who took a long time, I think, to find his real form, but this was a perfect role for him, and he really does a great job selling it. Um, Some actors and actresses just are better when they approach middle age. I mean, that's, yeah. that's not uncommon. Samuel L. Jackson didn't hit his stride early on. He he took, I think, about 10 or 15 years to really get into the swing of things. Um, or some of them just keep getting better, like Kate Blanchett. Kate yeah. Blanchett's always been good since Elizabeth came out. This is great. Yeah. Uh, but this is, again, this is what Whedon does better than maybe anybody else, is finding the exact <laughs> right way to work jokes in. You know, when I first saw the performance, or first heard performance issues, I wasn't sure they were talking about what I think they're talking about. I think they're talking about Viagra. <laughs> of course they were. You didn't pick that up immediately? My, just my first viewing, you know. Oh, I, I got it in, in second. No, I, well, because I was thinking of the whole theatrical thing, because he's talking about how Loki wants a show, you know, 
it's like opening mm-hmm. night. So I was thinking, right. but the, it didn't take, trust me, it didn't take me long. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here we go. Yes, this looks and great. This, the sound, the okay. ding, ding, ding Green sound screen of looks good here. Looks good here. Awesome. Right here, it doesn't matter. You, you get up close and somehow that doesn't hurt the people on the ground. Who cares? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> okay. So here comes a battle in New York. So people out there, Matt and I talked about we're gonna we're gonna divide this up a little bit because there's so much going on. Um, you want first crack here? Uh, I want to wait another okay. couple of minutes. So why don't you uh, okay. go for a few more minutes? So here come the Chitari, who appear totally organic. They don't appear particularly powerful. It's easy to take them out. Their ships aren't maneuverable, as we will see later. Um, overall, it looks good. Anything in this movie where it's CGI on CGI, like right here, is spectacular. It's only when they try and connect with what's going on in the ground, with like real people and, and vehicles and stuff, that it, it stumbles a little bit. But look at this dynamic. This is very Serenity shooting there. I love sure. it. They and I also that. want to throw in real but, quick, but, I think by the one way, way they it, get around that is that uh, they use human voices talking over the CGI, and I think that does a lot to carry the, the disbelief a little bit farther. There's a lot of voice inserts, too, in this final scene. Right. I think this was ru- I know for a fact this was rushed, and that's why they had to spend more money than they thought. Especially with still looks pretty awesome. That's cool. They really spun that car and exploded it. It's right. Yeah, like I said, it's like three green screen shots the whole movie. I could care less. Okay, they try and set up this waitress as a character here, right? They- she gets speaking lines in a deleted scene. No, she gets speaking I- lines at the end of this movie where she said, "Captain she does, American, but save they me." They introduce her yes. early on in the original cut of this film, and then they cut the scene out. And then there's so. the same exact thing with the Sokovia woman in the second movie with her son, who yep. who Quicksilver dies to protect after you know us seeing her for the entire movie. Here we go. This is an amazing exchange. And the fight starts awesome, but eventually it's uh, so close you just hear them bludgeoning each other without seeing it. But the brutality and, is excellent. And Whedon has said it's at this point that Thor just snaps and just wants to beat the shit out of his brother. You mean when he picks him up and slams him into the ground? <laughs> All of this. It's yeah. just I'm Boom. done trying to reach this guy. I just have to beat the crap out of him now. It's Right. So anyways, my theory about the Infinity Stones is that Thanos figures I can – get back the scepter because it's going to corrupt and destroy everyone and then get the Tesseract as well and not have to do it myself and destroy the planet that I have to invade. Well, why does he have to invade the planet? I think it's the Black Panther. I think Black Panther is going to have one of the Infinity Stones. And so Thanos is already setting up how to get multiple Infinity Stones off of Earth. That's my theory. Could be wrong. Okay, so they teased us earlier that, you know, Loki was going to blow this thing up in Germany. He just missed. Uh, he's not going to miss here. I, by the way, I love Captain America's not wearing a seatbelt, as we'll see in a minute. It's like why he never wears a helmet on the motorcycle. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Chris Evans, you know. He, Captain America's going to be fun. Here we go. This looks excellent right here. So this is the teamwork, you know. And, and as Matt pointed out in our pre-discussion, the fact that you already buy the teamwork, not even through an entire first movie, is an incredible accomplishment, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. Um and also what you have here goes back to what I was saying about relative power levels. Renner isn't going to be able to fight Loki hand-to-hand, so Thor does that. They're trying to shoot down Chitari. They're trying to provide you know, backup with the machine guns on the plane. And now they get down to the ground level, which is really where all of these characters can do the most good. And it's where they will do the most good throughout this final uh, battle, which takes almost 
40 minutes. I mean, it's well over a half an hour of just straight action from here on in. It's actually not. I've timed it before. The, if you include the build-up and the post, it, it comes out to like 30, 35 minutes. But the bulk of the fighting, um, starting about five minutes ago, comes in around 20, 25 minutes, which is the perfect length. Mm. Um, okay, here we go. Flying dinosaur creature. It makes no sense, but why not? It looks spectacular. Did you ever play Warcraft 2? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Okay, the orcs have a transport that's basically like a war turtle. And that's the first uh, thing I thought of when I saw this thing. Uh, um, I still, in part because there's a cutscene in Warcraft 2 where the, one of the war turtles eats a dead body. I still um, think the Warcraft movie, assuming the CGI is better than its look so far, will be actually pretty entertaining. I still play StarCraft, um, actually, the, the new one. So here they are. Okay, shooting at terrible shots, not killing anybody. So we just have to assume the aliens are everywhere killing people. Right, StarCraft, you seen this? Seeing it, still believing. This look, That's a great shot there of the dinosaur from the back and Iron Man coming in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, they're like, Banner, what? <laughs> like, why the hell do you think Banner's coming back? And this is a classic, you know, Loki for a second looks like he'll change sides just so Thor lowers his guard and he stabs him in the gut. But Thor, like we were talking about, Thor always thinks he can save his brother. No, we yeah. can together. We can stop this. Right. And this well, relationship. Oh, look at Tom Hiddleston. Boom. Yeah. Oh, God. It's, by the way, his new miniseries is supposed to be excellent on AMC. Huh. It's a John Le Carre um, oh, spy thriller. Uh, yeah. Night, Night, Night Mansion or something. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, Night Watcher, Night, Night something. Watcher. It's it sounds like it's the Boom. title of a studio. <laughs> yeah, short this short. is such a Disney thing. He happens to jump off the side onto an empty yeah. hovercraft. Who cares? Um, actually, Loki on the hovercraft is probably the thing that w- works the least well for me uh, from a visual standpoint. I like that Thor bleeds again. Mm-hmm. Comparative powers. Okay, here we go. Here we go. If you're not in love with Captain America, forty seconds from now, you're about to be. Yeah, I mean, you know, the cars are flipping, there's explosions, it just, it doesn't connect. I mean, X2 has better car flipping in terms of connection from CGI stuff. Who cares? Um, Fish and Barrel, you know, I know you said the 9-11 stuff doesn't bother you in this. It doesn't bother me I don't either. think it is 9-11-y is the thing. Not every scene of something, of a city getting torn apart is go. 9-11. Here's Renner's Even- big moment, right, finally. Yeah, that's a great line. It would be my genuine uh, pleasure. I love that watch line. Watch how the arrow does. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Right, so you have Scarlet shooting at nothing for a lot of this fight. Here it is, the mm-hmm. cat music. Oh, man. It's only... I kind of want to start playing the Mario theme. do 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 Yeah, it's somewhere between Mario and Sonic the Hedgehog. And look, we have superheroes saving people. You love this This is all I want to see in superhero movies, is superheroes saving people. I, this is what makes this power <laughs> fantasy attractive to me. Budapest. And that's a good line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's world building right there. Also, all those arrows are CGI. All he's doing is drawing back the string and releasing it. I think um, Renner has amazing comedy in the second movie. He, I think he has the funniest material um, right. a, a, out of any of them. You know, the whole, the city's flying. I have a bow and arrow. I don't know what the hell's going on. Like... That bit up here, the cops. That looked cool. That, 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 that guy's on uh, Dollhouse, by the way, and uh, Agent Carter. Here so we go. There you go. This is it. This is it. <laughs> and when you know he's from New York, this makes way more sense. Mm-hmm. 39th. Yep. Oh, oh. <laughs> the classic Whedon right here. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, I love this. He and just for good measure, off. boom. 
That's great. Uh, that looks so real, him holding the piece of the Chitari, right. by the way. It's badass, but it also, again, establishes they are actually trying to protect people, not just blow up okay. aliens indiscriminately. Matt Goisman, a.k.a. Yeah. Goose. Goose, you're up. Okay. So we are uh, about to come to my favorite moment in this movie. And to set it up, The Avengers is two things. It's a plot, a story about superheroes stopping an alien invasion of New York. It's a pretty simplistic thought when you think about it. The bad guy gets a thing. He uses it to bring the other bad guys. The good guys have to fight the bad guys, and then it's over. But this is also an experiment to prove that this kind of movie-making which has never been done before, could work. That you could make a bunch of disparate solo films and get them all together and not have to reiterate all the origins and all that and just assume the audience is coming in with about four movies worth of backstory um, coming into this movie. And if it had failed... Marvel probably would not have continued making movies the way it has. Maybe it would have made a couple more Iron Man movies because those did gross pretty well. Maybe it would have made another Captain America movie or two. <laughs> but all of the – I mean this interaction is fantastic. This all but seems all of the horrible. variation – we would not have gotten Guardians of the Which Galaxy if this worse. movie hadn't worked yeah. because that movie is very much Space Avengers. Yes. Um, in broad strokes, the characters are actually almost identical – Star Lord's well, Captain these, America. These characters are more are more subtle, are more complicated, and Loki is a much more complicated bad guy than Ronan. Sure, but, but in know. broad strokes, they're surprisingly similar. I love that Scarlet Lion. I don't see how this is a party. <laughs> so this movie, though, is an experiment to see if this can work. And if you're rooting for these guys, if you're buying into this, if you're interested in what's going on, <sighs> then the experiment is working. Orgasm. The meta goal of this works. Oh god! And then you see this. Oh, it's god. not a werewolf. Awesome. Oh. It's the greatest Hulk transformation. It's, it's so tonally different than the first time he transforms. It's so cool. Now they blow this fucking thing up. It's a good effect. Avengers music. Avengers theme music. Yeah. yeah baby, the head. Oh, man. The head is like still twitching. It's little which things. Is pretty it, cool. it rolls away from the civilians just by accident. And they're all screaming. This, okay, they, they look. And now we get oh, it. God. The circle shot Woo. with the awesome Avengers theme music that's some of the best theme music in a superhero movie ever. This is the moment. The movie has ex- succeeded if you are excited. And that theme song is triumphant. Even though they haven't achieved anything yet, they've achieved what they wanted to, which is gotten to this point, got the team together, got you to buy this concept, and everything from here on out is a celebration of that. I really believe that. Right. It's awesome. It's explosions everywhere. It's funny lines. It's no more, <laughs> really no more emotional stuff. It's just stuff here being awesome. Better clutch Better up, clutch Legolas. <laughs> Such a good line. All right, Biz, let's jump it in here. I love that Thor has to be told to use the lightning. You know, whatever. I, you like know, I, I speculate that That's such a great line. I speculate that even beings look how real that looks around her hair when he flies up. Hulk, I love, uh, I love this this interaction. Smash. Even I knew that. I'm getting okay. Here we go. Okay, this is when I saw this, Matt. I never thought I would see this in my my life. Hulk tearing hell through New York City, beating the shit out of hundreds of bad guys, tearing buildings down, just jumping and hitting any. I I couldn't believe it. You got Thor. Awesome. You got Thor going up on the building, and you know you you have to assume that even Thor's powers run out uh, temporarily, which is why we see him stumble later. Um, I mean, even the Hulk tires out. But 
when I when that scene happened at the theater that I saw it at in Boston, uh, the audience went nuts. I mean, when th- when the Hulk finally really cuts loose with the jumping and the smashing oh. and the twitching, just the, everybody just lost their shit. Yeah. I mean, they, it was so awesome. So why can't Thor just keep doing this indefinitely? Right, he has to get tired. Who knows? Um, I mean, conceivably. Can he summon lightning indefinitely? I mean, lightning is a buildup of electrical discharge in nearby clouds. So maybe he drains the clouds of all their lightning and then there's no more light. I don't know. Who cares? All right. The rest of the scene is cool, too. Um, you mind if I do a little play-by-play for the next couple minutes? Yeah, I do. All right. Okay, so Jeremy Renner <laughs> never uh, looks. Yes. In fact, not only does Hawkeye not look, he looks the exact opposite direction of where he's shooting. I'm glad they don't reuse that in the second movie, but it's mm-hmm. it's very effective here. There again, he's looking the way. Got all the different kinds of arrows. The show Arrow on TV does some cool Hawkeye type stuff for sure as well. Um, mm-hmm. they, this is amazing. Like I said, when it's just CGI and CGI, they make the buildings completely seamless. Oh boy. Yeah. I like that. Oh boy. Yeah. Boom. Oh man. They can't bank where the damn. All right. So he comes out. They hit the building. Okay. And he- here it is. Here's where you buy Stark as the teammate. Thor's taking a squadron. And he didn't invite me. I mean, this is the Avengers, you know? This is them like liking each other, you know, in addition to fighting. Okay. Oh my God. This. Oh, I'm getting chills right now, Matt. Oh my <laughs> God. It's the Hulk. He jumps out. He grabs the dinosaur creature and he's winning he's winning he's just yanks it down he's winning the thing weighs a thousand times what he weighs he's winning oh my god this is glorious who scarlet still fighting does she take the uh okay so uh, this is where uh, if you don't mind coming up here okay so this is where i want to just talk for a minute Yep. okay so i think that this was cast already that scarlet was going to be in the winter soldier um, two years after this. I don't know if she was cast as a full co-lead, but look at the way these two are talking. She's the one that comes up with the idea that there might be an alternative way to shut off the Tesseract, which is great. You know, like you think of Stark as the brains, but she's also the brains. He goes, you sure you want to do this? Yeah, it's going to be fun. You know, that, that, that's, that's a big change from, I don't see how this is a party. Pushes her up. This looks amazing. Look at Cap's face right there. That smile and glance on Cap's face is like, I could actually work with this chick. Okay, so here comes the single shot that everybody loves that I could just watch over and over again and do. Again, they start with Scarlet. I love it. They're always starting with Black Widow. Widow knocks him off. You know, she's trying to take over this entire situation. Boom. Hits a guy. I love <laughs> This is so good. Turn, 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 turn. <laughs> You're like, uh-oh, they're on her tail. What are they going to do? Whoop, where's that coming from? There's Iron Man taking him out. Boom. We're following Iron Man. He realizes Cap needs help. Here we go. Nerdgasm right yeah, off the shield. Yeah, this sweeping shot is right. so good. Oh. It's all CGI. I, I'm it looks sure. amazing. Off the shield, helping Hawkeye by taking some of these guys out. Hawkeye shooting guys at point blank range. Here's where the camera switches, but who cares? It looks amazing. The arrow shoots right into the screen, knocks the guy out. You're like, okay, this. Uh oh. No, no. Hulk. Oh my god, he's taking out the whole dinosaur creature. Here's Thor with the hammer. This is like an Aaron Sorkin shot. Oh my god, it pulls out the rib, the vertebrae, Thor with the lightning. Oh my god, is this glorious. And finally the shot switches to something else. And then after that entire awesome action scene, how does all of this end? With a comedic beat right about there. The last thing Payback. is funny. It's awesome, 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 uh, awesome, and then funny. 
By the way, the whole um, knocking Jeremy Renner senseless to get him unmind controlled was partially to set this up. That mm-hmm. that Selvig getting hit hard by the blast would would knock him out uh, right. um, of his his reverie. By the way, do you think the punch from Hulk was just because it's Hulk, or to, it was payback from their earlier fight on the I think helicarrier? It's payback from the earlier thing, and because Whedon said he just got a kick out of having as Guardians get knocked out of the frame, it happens in four or five different moments. So uh, I'm, I'm, that's a and that's a neatly a well shot scene there too. Um, I don't think that was CGI. I think they actually shot okay, that. This is the, this is horrible here. This grenade doesn't go off for twenty seconds. Yeah, it's a shield. He throws the shield. It takes like 20 seconds for the shield to come back. So really quickly, man. So mm-hmm. Matt knows that I recorded an Avengers commentary by myself about six or seven months ago and never released it. And that's why I'm doing this now with Matt. And this is already a thousand times better. But I predicted in that podcast, man, or not predicted, but we talked numerous times that if you put Hulk and Thor together, you could literally send them across the universe and take out entire planets of armies. And this was mm-hmm. well before we knew that Ruffalo was joining Thor and if nothing else as inconsistent as the Thor movies have been having Ruffalo and the Hulk in Thor Ragnarok I have to think is gonna I mean do you think they could do some planet Hulk stuff where he's got like armor on and things like that I doubt it I think they're just gonna keep the Hulk the way he is um, I don't think they need to screw with something that they figured finally figured out after no two failures I think they figured out how to do the Hulk I think the one thing that this has over the final battle of Ultron, which I, you know, is my favorite personal battle at the end of Ultron. Uh, oh, by the way, this is the teasing the Hydra stuff that Nick Fury is not really in charge, I think, right? But um, Sokovia, other than Ultron, there's no particularly powerful bad guys. Like, you need the Hulk to take out the giant flying dinosaurs in this one. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no giant flying dinosaurs at the end of uh, Age of Ultron. And as a result, you actually don't see the Hulk very much until the hero circle in Sokovia. Because, uh, you know, you just have to assume that he could take out that entire army, but you wouldn't have a movie. Oh, here we go. <laughs> it's so badass. You <laughs> think it's really cool. He's smirking, and then he gets blown the fuck out of the sky. Yeah, my problem with uh, Sokovia, one, I know believability is stupid in a movie about aliens summoned to Earth. Oh, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, yeah. This must have gotten huge laughs in the theater. I wish I'd been there. Whedon has said this is the best fight scene he's ever done. (laughs) (laughs) And again, and again. It's still funny. I've seen that scene 12, 15 times. It's still funny. Oh, my God. Which, you know, as we move towards the final section of the battle. And he's not whimpering. Yeah. It's like he's sucking air through a, a punctured lung. It's so, a really great sound. I love I love that Black Widow is the one to come up with the idea along with Selvig <laughs> of how to shut this down. And that's part of why Cap can work with her in Winter Soldier is not just her fighting skills but her brains. Um you know, it's a great... And again, what's Scarlet doing at the very end of Winter Soldier? She's doing non-traditional things. She's doing infiltration. She's pretending to be a member of HYDRA, right? She, instead mm-hmm. of fighting. I like that they do that with Black Widow. It's not always just guns, 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 guns. She uses subterfuge. She uses lies. She uses disguises. I think that's a great superpower in a way of its own. I, I always forget that Thor is still taking guys out. Look at this. Oh, mm-hmm. Is, is the Hulk on this guy, too? The Hulk's taking down three dinosaur creatures that we know of already. Uh, uh, okay, here comes the biblical reference. I'm sure you appreciate this. Oh, yeah. This is so... Uh, I'm telling, I wouldn't jo- exactly call him a role model yeah, or something yeah. like that. Jarvis, have you ever heard the story of Jonah? Yeah. 
<laughs> Paul Bettany is brilliant. There we go. No. Which is great because if you know your Bible, you know exactly what he's planning on doing. Right. What I think works about this battle that Sokovia doesn't have is what you said, is that there's actually a fairly different number of combatants and types of combatants. No, there's two. There's, there's the Chitauri and there's the dinosaur creatures. That's yeah, it. but there's also Loki, and there's Chitauri on uh, chariots in the sky and guys on the ground. There's uh, Chitauri trying to fight uh, the superheroes and ones trying to subjugate the humans or blow them up. There's different kinds of tasks Sokovia, it's just a million robots swarming around. And this, uh, this to me is very much a diehard reference, you know, with the uh, breaking through the glass yep. and swinging to safety, um, you know, where he uses, uh, John McClane uses the hose, the fire hose on the thing, and then he's got it untied before he falls I off. I just love Sokovia because of the humor. There's so many great jokes in, in the middle of that battle. I just don't think the jokes land as well as they land in this. We might just be of a different opinion. Honestly, I think I've only seen this. Ultron once or twice. I may need to watch it again. I just I didn't like it enough the first time I saw it to want to I, really. I almost I almost tried to force you to watch it before doing this, but I knew you wouldn't have time, so I didn't bring it up. Um. Yeah, I mean, jokes land at a higher rate here, no doubt. Ultron is so packed that the percentage can never live up. Okay, this is great. Okay, so Fury himself stops the play with an RPG, not killing the guy, of course, right? He takes out the wing. And then another play's going to start flying, I think, and he's going to take out his pistol. Ooh. I think this makes a point, though, that... These are those feels- F-35s, by the way. Yeah, Whether or not he he challenged himself to not kill people he didn't need to. I think he is definitely of the opinion that if I don't have to kill somebody or people in a scene, why should I? Whereas I think there are other directors who think if I can kill people, I should, or I'm going to, or I want to. Yeah. Um, I think Joss took it as a personal um, creative challenge. Yeah. You know, I think that was great. I I don't think, I think he resents the setting up more than not being able to kill people. I don't think he cares about not killing people. But I think he, you know, especially in Ultron, all the cosmic stuff he had to set up, that he like the Thor stuff he didn't want to do. Right. No, I don't think he liked that at all. But I think he he does have the wherewithal to understand that um, tons of media where just people uh, are dying constantly, it might be bad for society in some okay, way. Okay, so you know? one of the many reasons I love Ultron. And that shot, yeah. that's CGI, but, but Chris Evans or his oh, stunt double kills, kills it. it. I mean, Look at this. if Boom. you don't believe that dude was just shot in the stomach, then I don't know why you're watching that movies. That looks great. It's only the he, car explosions from the spaceships that don't look real. Everything else looks amazing. Yeah. Um, by the way, one of the many reasons I love Ultron is... I love this. I love this. The smirk, I love it. Yeah. Is the, and those we, two? And he's bleeding from the stomach. I yeah. mean, that's pretty good. Those two have gr- at least three or four great team up moments together with the hammer and the shield, or mm-hmm. um, Thor and Cap do. Yeah, here it is. I I love how Scarlet plays this because all that sound is added later, but she's acting like the sound is there and it's loud and interrupting her. Boom! Here it goes. So yeah, so Iron Man burns through the Mark Seven and Mark Eight suits here. Um, I don't, yeah, or something like that. Uh, I wonder what he has by the time. It must be the, like a Mark Ten in the. Uh, I love the beginning of Ultron there in the Hydra base. He just steps out of the suit without <laughs> blinking an yeah. eye. It just opens. Bloop. I think in Iron Man three, he's up to thirty or forty suits. So I, I don't know how high he is by Ultron. But well, I it's mean, not that. It, it has to do with the type of the model, not not how many there are. So like, 
you know, like they're probably multiple markets. This is great. And this is what I'm talking about. I love Pepper Potts and Tony Stark. This is the only human relationship in the entire movie that doesn't involve the Avengers. And so I appreciate in Winter Soldier and then in Ultron that we get more human relationship stuff. What are we fighting for? Who are we fighting for? Right? Right. Well, I like that some people fight for specific relationships and some people don't. I do. There is something that appeals to me about the idea of people who just fight the good fight because it needs to be fought because they're the only people who can. Yeah. I, not everybody should be motivated that way, but when everybody's got a family and it's some personal thing, I, I think it does sometimes maybe take away from the global scope of it. Um, I just think you go to Winter Soldier and you add you know, Haley Atwell – who he still is trying to have a relationship with, I mean, friendship with, and you add Sam Wilson, you know, and just just those two alone. Um, and then, of course, Bucky being the third and most important. Um, yeah, I think Cap is a guy who could just be fighting to fight. Okay, so here's the nuke. This is great. They do exactly what they should do, which is show part of the explosion and not the whole thing. Mm-hmm. it's always more effective unless it's star wars who always seems to know how to blow up entire ships or planets <laughs> right yeah okay so how is this not killing thousands of people i mean come on it well i think we're going to find out in civil war that there were civilian casualties i don't know how many yeah. I, it's impossible for me to believe there okay. were none i still think it was a heck of a lot fewer than man of steel joss whedon has said by the way that he knows it's a little bit of a cop-out that when the thing blows up they all shut down but he was he kind of said Otherwise, it would have taken eight hours at least to clean up the mess of still having thousands of soldiers to track down. So just for completeness sake, they shut down. And, you know, is it a cop out? Maybe a little bit, but who cares? Um, and now we see the moment where actually what Stark has been doing actually has a real positive effect on everybody around him, that he is not just antagonizing to be antagonistic. He saves the Hulk because the Hulk thinks of Iron Man as his friend on some level, yep. even though now when he pushes him off, he hurls him off his chest. Yep. Although it's very gentle <laughs> up, it's up until that point. Up until then, but then he just goes, and he throws him and he clangs on oh, the he's ground. He's covered in metal. Okay, right. here's, here's a million things I love about this. You know that he's not going to die. This is the opposite of the end of Batman v Superman. You know he's not going to die. They're, they're already selling he's going to wake up. You're just trying to figure out how. What's great is not only that Hulk wakes him up with a roar, but Tony isn't scared even for a split second of the Hulk. No, he's a little freaked out by what happened because yeah. he. But I mean, Whedon has said he kind of found it funny that that the Hulk wakes him up by being annoyed right. that he screams at him. You know, please tell me that nobody kissed me. <laughs> yeah, immediately it's jokes again. Another thing you can have jokes in a superhero movie and still have it be sad and dark when you need it to be. There's nothing wrong with having different tones in different parts of a film. Yeah. But all right, yay, great job, guys. And, and, and Stark through both Avengers movies has great double entendre sex or penis related jokes. Right. Shawarma. <laughs> this seems unlikely that Tony Stark wouldn't have had shawarma, but who cares? It's hilarious. <laughs> He probably well. His favorite food does seem to be like fast food hamburgers and whatnot. So or dried blueberries. Uh, uh, oh yeah, blueberries. This is awesome. Tom Hiddleston plays this great. Yeah, you know he's actually cut up. This is the first time he actually shows physical damage, <laughs> and he's like, "Oh shit, yeah. I lost." And then he looks over, and all of a sudden, there's your t-shirt shot. <laughs> and honestly, Hiddleston could be acting completely by himself on this down soundstage here. 
Yeah, we don't see them in the same shot. That's true. That's what makes him such a brilliant actor is that you can't tell. Yeah, I mean, clearly they're staring okay, directly at the camera. Do you see how the Hulk could barely even fit in that frame? Mm-hmm. If you use the normal super wide screen, he wouldn't have been able to fit at all. Or you would have had to like put him way back or, or kneeling or whatever. We didn't just really wanted to establish the Hulk as truly nine or ten feet tall. I, right. I, I like that Disney let him do it. You know, They could have put the kibosh. Oh, there's the guy getting the Tony Stark haircut. Yeah, I like that. The guy getting the tattoo, the, the kid. kid. I think that's funny. Yeah, um, I like I that. Like twenty percent of the people are are skeptical or scared. Well, I, yeah. yeah, and I think that actually does set up a uh, it's Stanley Jessica Jones in every Marvel movie, that. even the mo- even the Marvel yeah. movies that the Marvel ones he didn't create, like Big Hero Six yeah. and Guardians. Um, I mean, Jessica Jones I, deals with the fallout of of this in terms. So of, does Daredevil. Yeah. I mean, I, Daredevil. Interesting. Well, but it Jessica Jones attack as a as a means by which gentrification could take over which is kind of fascinating what this scene i think does show is that not everybody trusts them immediately the second the avengers form there's immediate distrust and over the events of sokovia and maybe and winter soldier that distrust has grown to a point where it maybe overpowers the trust and now you have the sokovia accords and the Registration Act and all the stuff that sets. Well, that's up what I'm saying. Uh, no, Daredevil and Jessica Jones both deal with the aftermath of this, obviously. But I'm saying Jessica Jones, in terms of her being a superpower, openly superpowered individual, really has to deal with the people who hate superpowered individuals. Right. This is great. This is why I think he was casting spells. And <laughs> look on Renner's face. Um, yeah. One of my favorite parts of Ultron at the end, they're trying to get off the rock, and Renner's driving the convertible, and, and Scarlet's next to him, and he's talking about how he's going to destroy the dining room. You know, they're under fire, and he's talking about destroying his house after he promised his wife they would. That's what Whedon does better than anyone else, is realizing that the best jokes actually work best in dangerous situations, because that's exactly mm-hmm. when people like this would be making jokes to like keep themselves... You know what I mean? Uh, sane, I think. Especially the non-superpowered people like uh, like Widow and Hawkeye. There he is, Steve Rogers. Yep. On an old-school motorcycle, oh, yeah, I yeah. like that, that it feels like very much a vintage bike of some sort. So I love this because I always forget the true end to this. I always think this is going to be the last seed. Okay, so you see how she says some pretty extremely far? Mm-hmm. In normal language, you would say pretty far or extremely far. You would Joss Whedon. That's like totally a Firefly thing. Yeah, that's a Whedon thing to do. I love that. I, I'm I'm working on a sci-fi project. I'm thinking of doing some Whedon-esque language stuff, but it just has to make sense and not see, sound corny. It's like shiny in, in Firefly. That could come off as such a horrible, like made-up uh, word. Uh, for, mm-hmm. You know, but I mean, just the way they work in shiny and the Chinese language. Right. I I mean with. This the most the language thing, yeah. experimentation was clearly Firefly with a Whedon project. Oh, yeah. And I would say to make something like that work, you have to make it clear to the actors when and why they'd use it yep. so that it does feel like something they would just slip in. Yep. Um, well, because I, I saw Serenity before I watched Firefly, and I'm like, what the hell are they saying? But it still worked. Oh, there's the Avengers. Yeah. So nothing in the Marvel Universe 
at last long, right? So this is going to mm-hmm. be Avengers Tower, but by the end, you know, but by the end of Ultron, that's not the case anymore. You know, at the end of Winter Soldier, they take down Shield and Hydra, but immediately Shield and Hydra still exist in the TV shows and Ultron right. for the next couple of years. So I guess mm-hmm. one of my closing points, other than this movie's amazing, and thank you for doing this with me, is the way that they can, you know, pivot the storylines you know, with every major movie, but still feel like time has passed and you don't need right. to be told everything, right? Like, there's a direct line between Nick Fury's dealings here with the Security Council um, and, and the Hydra Shield stuff two years later. And as we've talked about, everything goes through Cap and Cap goes through everything. So, um, uh, yeah, man, final thoughts? I still believe this movie is the best of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. I understand that Winter Soldier, from a cinematic perspective, from a narrative perspective, um, and a complexity perspective, might be better. But I still think this is the best executed film. This is the most phenomenal film, and I mean that literally, that this was a phenomenon that uh, had had never been done before. And really did change in a lot of ways the way Marvel approached making its own movies, certainly the way Warner Brothers is is treating its comic book properties. I think it maybe even changed up the way uh, um, Fox wanted to is working with the X-Men a little bit. Um, and certainly Sony, until they lost Spider-Man because they couldn't make a good Spider-Man movie, um, you know, they were talking about spinning off Sinister Six and villains. Everything that other comic book properties are trying to do now, the Avengers proved you could do it, and it hadn't been done before that. So that still makes this the most important one, maybe ever. Maybe since Superman, the first one, uh, proved you could make a superhero movie at all. Okay, here we go. And now we get something that I think actually Whedon wanted to write because the scene flows in a way that doesn't feel shoehorned Mm -hmm. in. But this was another scene in which the people in the audience who knew what this was went nuts over this. Yeah, I mean, I've said Weeding occasionally is forced to do cosmic stuff, but he's written comic books for Marvel's the X Men. He's yeah, he likes this stuff. He just likes to, oh, he totally he yeah, loves it. But he just likes and that love he, he just likes doing it his own way is is what I'm always saying. You know, like yeah. like Thor with the lightning in the cave was not his way. Okay, Thanos does not look good here. He's starting to look slightly better. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You, he looks good enough that you know exactly who that is, and once you know who that is, that smile is so cool and so telling and so important that who cares? I mean, you see him for 10 seconds, and, as and that's if, enough. And as if this movie could not get any cooler, they finish it with a brand new song by Soundgarden, one of my favorite bands from the 90s. They, they basically reunited to do this track, did Soundgarden. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, and now they've been touring. I saw Chris Cornell solo last year with my dad, the singer. Ooh. Songwriter is amazing. So um, I don't know if we need to go all the way to the, the final the end credit stuff. Um, I believe that's just them eating shawarma. It is. So, um, and that people, there were actually some shawarma stores in New York that said their sales increased because of Avengers, which is pretty funny. Oh, yeah. I think it probably doubled the shawarma industry, no doubt. I, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, man. Well, I, I have two questions for you um, yeah. to close with. Um, one, you said this is your favorite or the best Marvel movie. Is this your favorite comic book movie ever? Uh, no. I, I still probably am X. Ex- 
two is the first one, and then the Dark Knight, and then this would be three. Wait, you have X two as your best comic book movie ever? I loved X two. I, I, I do just, too, but as a as a DC guy, I, I, I'm. There whoa. have been no good DC comics movies. Superman one is in my top ten, and the Dark Knight is number two. But X2, I just enjoyed wow. more. Dark Knight is a good movie that is elevated by one unbelievably brilliant performance. X2 is a more, a more enjoyable movie. It's a movie I want to watch more over and over again because it's not as dark and heavy. Um, dark Knight, I find harder and harder to watch, right. in part because I am watching a guy who killed himself because of the role he took on. Right. And that's hard for me on a, for a lot of different reasons. Um, that, so this is my favorite MCU movie, but yeah, I would still put X2 and the feeling of hope that uh, and excitement I felt coming out of the movie theater after seeing X2 with the, the hints of the Phoenix sure. coming out of the lake over dark night where you leave with this incredible sense of uh, gratitude on some level, but also sadness and somberness that you're never going to get to see this Joker again. And th- that Joker is the best thing I think that came out of any of those movies. That's the single best performance of any of them. Interesting. Um, I, I put Heath Ledger's Joker above Christian Bale's Batman by a wide degree because Christian Bale is great in sometimes, but laughable at others. Um, and then the Avengers is third, right behind it. Um, oh, okay. So despite all those criticisms, you still have the Dark Knight above uh, Avengers. Yes. And some of that is because yes, it's DC. Do you um, think X Two is as rewatchable as the Avengers? No, I actually haven't watched X2. I've seen it several times, but I haven't seen it in several Dude, years. It holds up so well. It still looks amazing. I'm sure amazing. it does. I, it's just the fun, the color, the joy yeah. of the Avengers. It's so rewatchable. You can start it at the last 20 minutes and just watch the Battle of New York. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, Night Nightcrawler's effects are as good as anything you see today. Oh, I I loved X2 the second Nightcrawler showed up and he was awesome. Which was the first second of X2. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, that first scene sold me. I was like, whoa, I had no idea Nightcrawler could kick this I much mean, ass. Even little things, like the Blackbird looks almost as good as the Quinjets 10 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really interesting. Yeah, I have the two Avengers movies, as I said, and Winter Soldier and X2 at the top. It's really a mood thing for me. Uh, it's right. hard, you know, It just depends what mood I'm in. Um, as I mentioned before, I don't really need to be in a specific mood for Avengers um, but sometimes I have a hankering for one of the other ones. Uh, right. But uh, the, the other question I wanted to ask you is sort of, you know, we're, we're four years from the Avengers and Captain America Civil War is about to come out in a couple days as of this recording. Um, right. What, you know, looking back, like what, what are sort of the major seeds that you look at with the Avengers? Because Civil War is closing one chapter, but opening up a huge other one. And the question is, if the Avengers was convincing us to get behind Thor, Hulk, Iron Man, and Cap, and so forth, is right. you know, is Civil War, and then leading up to the Infinity Stones, it seems like it's going to be a little bit more of a challenge to get behind lesser-known characters like Black Panther and, and Captain Marvel, or maybe the brand is just so good now. Well, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Well, as I said in the Civil War preview one that we did last week, right. um, I do think Marvel has built up enough goodwill that I'm willing to trust them with anything. Sure. Um, but I do think Civil War is, to some extent, going to be about selling you on 
secondary characters who I think might become more and more important as we get into Phase 3 and Phase 4. I think it's going to sell you on Black Panther. It's going to sell you on a Marvel Cinematic Spider-Man. I think it's going to make you buy into the Falcon and Winter Soldier a lot more. Um, So I think that movie is going to be about making you be excited and interested in lesser-known characters. Um, as we move into uh, the end phase for the major characters, and I still think by the end of phase three, some of the main guys from this movie, that might be their last film. I really believe that. You know, We might be saying goodbye to the Hulk, um, because he's never had solo films anyway, and they've never said they wanted to do it. So we may not get a Hulk after Infinity War Part 2. Black Widow might go away. Um, I'm letting... You know, just because Scarlett Johansson can get any role she wants, and if anybody was going to walk away, I would think she might be one who might want to. Well, she's got uh, Ghost in the Shell, which, if it doesn't get tanked by accusations of being racists, that um, <laughs> could be a franchise easily with her starring in it. Um, it knows? would actually be cooler than a Black Widow franchise because uh, it's just a much you know more interesting view of the future. I think here's Shawarma. <laughs> Uh, but what I was going to say was, uh, you know, Chris Evans used the word scared recently to describe his feeling of of leaving Marvel permanently. And as you pointed out, there's hints that Robert Downey wants to be in the Spider-Man movie. So I'm not so he sure. He is going to be in the Spider-Man yeah, movie. Yeah, I'm not so sure that they're all going to be gone after Infinity War Part 2. But we'll have to see how, how they're handled and treated as characters. They, uh, they'll say anything. Might be right. I still think Civil War <laughs> is going to be about making you be as invested at, in other characters as you are in the big... Six or however many are in the Avengers. Six, sure. I think. Sure. All right, man. Well, that was a lot of fun. Thanks for doing this, and I'll try and get this out uh, um, quick, fast, and in a hurry. Um, definitely before Cap Three. So I highly recommend all you people rewatch Avengers with our commentary. I also have a Cap One and Cap Two commentary online. Look out for that. And uh, yeah, what can you say? I mean, this was a brilliant piece of work, from the director all, down to the actors and the entire production team. Change comic book movies forever, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if Civil War can live up to it. Um, you know, even if it does live up to it from a sort of on paper standpoint, you know, will it replace it as the most rewatchable? Um, I know not. And any last thoughts for the Bizzlecast listeners? Nah, I think uh, I think we've covered it all. This was a ton of fun. I really enjoyed this. This was easily one of the fastest moving uh, Bizzlecast we've done together. Oh my so. god, that was almost two and a half hours plus the pregame talk. I can't believe it. That was awesome. So, um, all right, people, thanks for listening, and we are out. All right, buddy. Thanks.